With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Tuesday, the 3rd of October, year of our Lord 2023. Well, today we're going to talk, begin, with the sixth anniversary of the Las Vegas shooting. What have we learned? What has been done about this? And, of course, we're also going to take a look at the uh, the alarmism by Jamal Bow, uh, Bowman, one of the squad, uh, one of the eight most radical people in the House, and that's saying a lot. But, of course, what is far more important than his pulling the fire alarm is his ongoing climate alarmism. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and we will talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. Well, it's good to be back, and it's uh, good to be back to normal. Uh, thank you so much, all of you who expressed uh, kind concern, offered prayers. Uh, I got uh, sick uh, Friday afternoon, late afternoon, and it just kept getting th- worse through the weekend. And um, the good news is uh, I'm fine now. It was a bug, uh, but uh, I was in bed most of the weekend. And uh, it was just uh, we, we saw, and I think it's a bug because we saw, uh, I guess it was on Sunday, Karen was looking on Facebook and saw somebody that we know from Texas who had exactly the same symptoms. It felt like you had fever, uh, but you didn't have fever. Uh, broke out a, a kind of a rash, a kind of blotchy skin. Not really, I'd say, a rash with bumps or anything, but skin was blotchy. And a severe abdominal cramps and stuff. So, uh, 
Anyway, that's all gone now, and so uh, praise God. Thank you for your prayers and your concerns. Let's talk about what happened six years ago, this last Sunday, actually. And, uh, and it was on a Sunday that it happened, and that was the Vegas shooting. Uh, the impetus for a major gun control success, actually, one of the most successful uses of a mass shooting event ever, uh, thanks to Donald Trump, who used it as a precedent to do gun control by executive order. But there's a lot of issues with it. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, this, uh, uh, some people uh, noticed it, not too many people. There was uh, an excellent article that I'm going to uh, uh, cover here from Free Thought Project. Um, and uh, then there were some not-so-excellent articles by a few gun control pushers. Yet another grifting gun control organization, uh, this one in North Carolina, they wrote an op-ed piece. Uh, that came out uh, yesterday, uh, saying, well, yesterday, October the 1st, was the sixth anniversary of perhaps the most horrific mass shooting in American history. As if it were a war zone, 58 people killed, almost 900 more were wounded as a sniper opened fire on attendees at a musical festival. And of course, my recollection of this, I, I covered it quite a bit, and I'd been covering it all week. It happened on a Sunday. And by Thursday, Steve Pachenik, one of my favorite CIA disinformation agents and Alex's favorite disinformation agent. Well, not, I can't say it's his favorite one, but the one that he puts on all the time, Steve Pachenik, used to anyway. Uh, Steve Pachenik came on to my show, which was fairly young at the time. It was only a couple months old. Uh, my show began um, uh, the uh, beginning of August. It was, um, I don't remember the exact date. It was about... Uh, I was about one week short when they shut everything down at InfoWars, all the social media stuff, uh, August the 6th of 2018. That date, I remember. I don't remember the beginning of my show, but I remember the end of my reach everywhere. <laughs> um, and so, uh, anyway, um, he came on to discredit me and InfoWars in general, by adding false details to this tragedy. Nobody died, said Steve Pachinik. So I had to sandbag me on my show. I was like, no, that's not true. Uh, just amazing to me. And it's also amazing to me, and, and it bothers me, because now Jason Aldean has a spot in Gatlinburg, and every time I pass it, I, I look at it, and I think about what he did at Las Vegas. He was the one who now has made so much money off of a uh, not in a small town or whatever that is where he's, you know, we got guns and you're not going to pull that kind of stuff here in a small town. Well, Mr. Profiteering off of the Second Amendment, Jason Aldean, back in 2018, was one of the country western singers who was pushing for more gun control, saying at the time, it's just too easy to get guns here in this country. That's the problem. Shouldn't have all these guns. And then he turns around five years later and becomes a gazillionaire again by doing a song, uh, not in this small town because we've got guns. I'm so sick of the hypocrisy of these people. Anyway, this person who is not a hypocrite, by the way, uh, she's just full on against uh, your right to self-defense, your God-given liberties in the Constitution. Uh, she's the executive director of yet another one of these grifting mo uh, movements there in North Carolina. And she called out Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Um, 
She said, uh, and, and if you haven't seen him, he's a very plain talking uh, black man. So she is uh, a black female who is, you know, they have to pick her to call out the uh, the black lieutenant governor because, you know, the intersectionality ranking, you know. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure she's white. Oh, is she? Okay. Well, I thought she was black. But anyway, so, okay, I stand corrected. I guess being a white liberal gives you extra points. You can even call out a, uh, and, you know, you lose so many points as a, because you're, he's male and conservative that definitely, she's definitely ranked over him anyway. Uh, so it's, it's allowed for her to go into the media and attack him over January, the, over January the 6th, over, uh, what happened, um, in Vegas six years ago. She says here in North Carolina, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, then a private citizen, actually sought to cast doubt on the disaster, posting on his Facebook page that he was, quote, seriously, all uppercase, seriously, skeptical about what happened in Vegas. It was a remarkable, irresponsible and dangerous act for any person to say something like that, she says. Well, you know what I think is um, irresponsible and dangerous? is to um, do the kind of things that uh, she's been pushing. She, she finishes up and she says, as our kids are enduring lockdown after lockdown, uh, because of people like her, because of people like her, she said, we don't need more NRA-backed policies or politicians who won't stand up to the gun lobby or support reform. We dishonor Vegas victims and the thousands of others who have died from senseless gun violence every day. When we support the Second Amendment, I shouldn't say that part of it. When we don't do gun control, uh, look, it is not dishonoring the Vegas victims to question what happened there. It is not dishonoring the Vegas victims to say that that, no matter what happened, even if the government narrative were true, if every bit of it was true, and if you'd had a lone gunman who killed all these people and was able to do it because of a bump stock attachment, it would still be wrong to ban that. It'd still be unconstitutional. It would still be a violation of our rights just as much as if you, um, uh, the, the guy who uh, took his SUV and drove it through the Christmas parade in Waukesha, uh, deliberately targeting the dancing grannies and children who were in the parade. To run them down. Uh, is it dishonoring the victims to say uh, we don't want to have SUV control? We should not ban cars with fully automatic transmissions? What an absurdity it would be to blame the car for the heinous act of that man. And so whoever killed these people, uh, and uh, again, because of the government lies about this, because of the intelligence operatives like Steve Pachinik that were involved in selling this. By the way, Steve Pachinik, one of the always strongest supporters of President Trump. Isn't it interesting how people don't understand that in the CIA, there is both a left and a right side to this? They're both hyper fascists and Marxists in the CIA. You know, we understand the Marxist side of it. We see uh, John Brennan, James Clapper, uh, Hayden, others, right? Authoritarian Marxists. And yet what we don't understand are the people like Steve Pachinik and Mike Flynn and General McInerney and all the rest of these who are 
openly fascist intelligence shills. And we keep giving them a pass. Nobody calls them out on this. And yet the, the issue is, is that on certain issues like this, they agree. And so as you've got the right wing of the intelligence community, Flynn, McInerney, Steve Pachinik selling these ludicrous lies, uh, for example, uh, about the election. McInerney saying, well, we got uh, 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 troops have uh, taken over this location in Germany where they rigged the, lo- the uh, election, all the rest of this stuff. Now, McInerney was selling lies for George Bush as retired general in the mid-2000s. He helped to lie us into the Iraq war. And that was based on lies obtained by torture. Who was it that did the torture? Gina Haspel oversaw it and oversaw the cleanup. And then Trump appointed her to be the head of the CIA. And so you got people like her who was selling the Iraq war lies based on torture. You got people like McInerney who was selling the Iraq war lies that were based on torture. You got Michael Flynn <laughs> and these people and Steve Pachinik allied with Kissinger and Operation Gladio and other things like these people all coalesced around Trump and Trump pushed the lie of the Vegas shooting in order to push an executive order for gun control. And people don't understand how these people are part of the fascist right wing CIA. They just see the liberal, uh, socialist, Marxist side of the uh, CIA. That's the public side. All the rest of the people, if you're not with them, then obviously you're good. It's all these people who lied us into war after war, who lied to us about what happened with the election. Ludicrous lies, unproven lies, and entrapped conservatives. And January the 6th, led them in like Judas goats, picked their wallets, got them thrown in jail. These are the people that were pushing this Vegas stuff and used it for a new level of gun control. So it does not dishonor the victims to question this. It dishonors the victims to not question this, to not see who the people behind this really were. I can't prove any of that, but I believe it with all my heart. There was that group of people I just told you about, the public face of that part of the intelligence branch. But the excellent article that's on the Free Thought Project, it's been six years and we still don't have any answers about the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, so 60 lives snuffed out, says Don Villa Jr. on the Free Thought Project. Uh, he actually uh, uh, posted this two years ago on his Break the Matrix substack, and they picked it up again on Free Thought Project, and I'm glad they did. And if you want to see it, it's an excellent article. 60 lives snuffed out, countless families destroyed, more questions than the day after it happened. We see this all the time from the government, don't we? More from authorities. Instead of answers and justice, all that was offered was contradictions and silence. And so uh, this is the Route 91 shooting. The public, by and large, has once again allowed a major event to be swept under the rug. And in the wake, a wave of unparalleled censorship was allowed to surface, scrubbing pertinent information about the shooting from the Internet and eventually providing political fodder necessary to 
uh, facilitate the infamous October the 2018 coordinated purge of independent news outlets across social media. Uh, that involved the Free Thought Project. I'm sure that's one of the reasons why they remember this article. It involved the Free Thought Project and about 800 organizations. But of course, that was two months after they did that to InfoWars and got away with it. And Trump was okay with that as well. And uh, he was okay with both of those things. You know, the common thread of the people who were purged uh, on October and October of 2018, common thread were people who were against the military industrial complex, against wars, against the surveillance state. Uh, it was not necessarily Trump supporters by far and away. That was probably only about 40% of the 800 organizations that were purged. Most of them were against the police and surveillance state, which pulls things like the Vegas shooting. The public's keen eye and willingness to call out the inconsistencies of the official story in the immediate aftermath uh, that was the catalyst for big tech's war on free speech. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, um, that was where the throttling began of uh, me on YouTube. I was getting about 250,000, 270,000 views talking about what happened in Vegas and how the government was lying to us. You know, one hole in their story after the other. And then immediately, you know, that went down. The interesting thing was the number of people who were following me continued to rise uh, until uh, for several more months, even though my view counts were throttled by about 95% right after that. And then they uh, capped the number of followers that I had. Nobody was following me anymore. Uh, and then, you know, the purge that happened uh, in October 2016. But yeah, it was the beginning of this thing. It was very important for them. And we didn't really realize how important this was for them and how it was going to be used until Trump used it in a year or two. So um, he goes on saying, uh, while regret regrettably, these facts do fall short of answering the most pertinent of questions, precisely why and how this event took place. I think we know the why. I think I do. Anyway. Um, anyway, he says they do, however, exemplify the deliberate obfuscation of crucial information from the public purview committed by the Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the FBI, which raises perhaps the most glaring unanswered questions of all. Why would the FBI and the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department not be completely truthful about this event? If they were so concerned about disinformation and conspiracy theories, why not be entirely transparent to avoid such things in the first place? Well, because that's the way they always do all of these things, uh, because they use them. Everything, whether it is uh, their event or whether it's some, uh, somebody else did the event and they want to use it for a particular purpose, they always do that. Chief among these revelations is a confirmation that other persons of interest were indeed being investigated. Uh, Stephen Paddock, uh, they said time and again, was the only person under investigation. And yet, uh, Nick Crosby, attorney for the Metropolitan Police Department, was asked in court, in district court, by Judge Alyssa Kaddish. She said, without naming names, there are potential charges against other people because of the ongoing investigation. To which the um, attorney for the Vegas police said, yes, there are charges being investigated. And so then at that point in time, uh, a lawyer who was... Um, 
watching the trial and reporting on it for mainstream media, Maggie McClutchy, said, today is the first time we've heard that there's additional suspects out there. And this contradicts what we have been, uh, what has been said by Sheriff Lombardo, that there are no other suspects. So, uh, yeah, Sheriff Lombardo, by the way, um, again, when I was at the Bundy Ranch standoff that Saturday, um, all the mainstream media came in, if I remember correctly, it was a Thursday. They all show up, the big satellite trucks, Fox News and CNN, and Sean Hannity is calling in and tried to tell um, uh, Clive and Bundy that he couldn't talk to anybody but him, you know. It's just, yeah, what a circus it was. And that went on Thursday and Friday. And then all of a sudden on Saturday, when there was going to be the big meeting of everybody, we're going to get together, uh, all of the media disappeared Friday night. They'd all been told by the Las Vegas Police Department and by the Bureau of Land Management, that BLM, that we're, it's, it's over. We're, we're going to tell... Um, Cliven, that he can, um, he's will respect his grazing rights, which are property rights, right? You know, he's had these property rights since before the BLM existed, and now we're going to officially recognize them. Thing is, they'd taken his cattle. And, uh, but they had told the mainstream press, uh, CNN and Fox News and all the rest of them, uh, it's over. We're, we're just going to give him what he wants. Well, it wasn't what he wanted. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so, um, but the mainstream media had all left. <clears throat> and that uh, morning, you had the sheriff at that time, Doug Gillespie, who showed up there. And next to him was the guy who was soon going to replace him, the guy who was sheriff during the Vegas shooting, Joseph Lombardo. And the two of them got up. <laughs> that sheriff, uh, Gillespie, was really nervous. <laughs> He thought people were going to get violent with him. But uh, uh, he got up and he says, you know, uh, well, we're doing everything. You, you know, you can graze your cattle. It's all done. Everybody can go home now. You know, and Clive and Bundy got up there and he, he has his arms crossed and he goes, that's not what I want. <laughs> I want my cattle and I want the BLM disarmed. And I want you to come back here, Sheriff, and put those, stack those firearms that you've taken from the BLM right here. And of course, uh, that was... The beginning of the standoff that uh, and everybody uh, went out there. And Clive and Bunny said, well, I'm not telling anybody what to do, but uh, my, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. And if you want to come along, you can come along. But I was, even though we had guns in our face down at the washout, 
and the BLM was screaming they were going to shoot us. And they were, they were like backed into a corner, like a dangerous animal. You know, I mean, there was a lot of people down at the wash, a lot of people on horseback, a lot of people armed. And, you know, there was, um, there were several of them, but it was, uh, you know, one or two trucks full and they had body armor and they had uh, shields and stuff, but, uh, they were acting like dangerously cornered animals. And I really thought they were going to shoot. And, uh, so did, uh, uh, some other people that were down there, one guy who was a retired sheriff that I knew, uh, he said, they're going to shoot us. <laughs> and I said, well, let's get this over with. <laughs> I started, I started walking with my back to them with a camera on the guys on horseback. So you're going to shoot me. You're going to shoot me in the back anyway. The, um, but I was more concerned about going into corrupt Las Vegas based on the interactions I'd had with the police department there. And what I knew about the police department I was more concerned about my safety in Las Vegas because of politics uh, than I was at the washout. You know, Karen always gets upset with me whenever we talk about that because she scared her to death <laughs> from, from a distance. But the scary thing was being in Las Vegas. And I was glad uh, that Josh and I had a hotel that was uh, up there near the Bundys because it was like an hour and a half away from Vegas. All that in one county, like, you know, Las Vegas or Nevada is basically Clark County and government land. That's basically it. And uh, so it was this huge, huge county. It was, you know, we drove for an hour, an hour and a half or something like that. We didn't have to go into Vegas except to get back out. And um, anyway, getting back to the Vegas shooting uh, and this corrupt police department, that's my point about it. It's just how corrupt. You know, what a corrupt bunch of liars they are. And of course, as he points out here, what would you expect out of Sin City, right? Prostitution, gambling, the mob, everything there. You know, who do you think is going to be sheriff? Who do you think is going to be a senator from a state like that? Somebody like Harry Reid, for example. Uh, frustration quickly turned to anger in June of 2018. After weeks of no cooperation, police were finally forced to release body camera footage for the officers who responded to Paddock's room. And what it revealed was shocking. The footage showed officers cowering in fear, merely one floor below the assailant as he continued his deadly rampage, with reports confirming at least two officers had been inside the hotel the entire time, previously issuing citations to guests. Instead of intervening, they stood by and did nothing while dozens of people were slaughtered. Yeah. Uh, very much like the Parkland shooting. Now, the video footage comes out. You can hear the gunfire going on. Somebody, somebody or, or multiple people what, are shooting people down below. And they're just, you know, uh, cowering in fear, a floor beneath them. What's more, video shows that at one point officers were instructed to turn off their body cameras, which is against protocol. But that isn't even the strangest abnormality about the police contact with Paddock. Contrary to initial reports, Sheriffs later revealed that a deputy did indeed discharge his weapon upon breaching the hotel room, compelling many to raise a question as to why, considering according to the official version of events, Paddock had committed suicide and was dead before police arrived. However, the sheriff's department never provided a reason. And this is big, even more perplexing. Body camera footage showed that the windows, inside the hotel room 
were not broken. No windows were broken in that hotel room. So that's the amazing thing about bump stocks, which makes them so dangerous. Not only can you do a mass shooting with them, but they, you can do it without even, you can shoot through the windows without even breaking them. That's the important thing. That's what makes them so dangerous that they have to be banned by executive order. First time anything was banned by executive order like that. Uh, Most curious of all, the coroner's report, which much like every other piece of uh, garbage that we got of evidence, uh, was contested every step of the way. A Nevada court judge ruled the records to be unsealed January the 30th, 2018. And that same day, the corrupt Clark County, corrupt uh, Clark County, he's not necessarily, I guess he is a corrupt coroner, but uh, <laughs> Clark County just in general is corrupt. Uh, John Fudenberg released a statement saying that the autopsy had not yet been finished. Why, after four months, had the autopsy not been finished? And what else is he going to do since they immediately cremated his body? All right. Well, not immediately. They'd created his, cremated his body two weeks prior to that on January the 17th. Look, this is like um, Rudy Giuliani on 9-11. Rudy, Rudy Giuliani and Bernard Carrick. Oh, another two cronies of Trump who covered up what happened on 9-11. Let's remove the evidence. Let's, I don't want anybody looking at this stuff. I don't want you going through uh, the rubble. I don't want you looking at cars and kind of getting any crazy ideas here. And they did the same thing. Well, we can't give you the autopsy of him. It's not ready yet, four months later. And oh, by the way, we, uh, we, did, we cremated him two weeks ago. I just didn't tell you, I guess. More puzzling still was the report itself and a conclusion which left many flabbergasted indicating that Paddock had died via a self-inflicted gunshot wound at 12 p.m. October the 2nd. Shooting was on October the 1st. And he died at noon the next day, he said. Not the night before when the shooting took place, as the police staunchly contended. One could guess that maybe this was an extraordinary typo. But, um, you know, changing uh, a.m. to p.m. and the first to the second and so forth. But as of this date, that has not been corrected. The events before and in the aftermath of this incident are just as mysterious and continue to compound even more confusing on this already dizzying series of accounts. Prior to Paddock allegedly unleashing his hail of bullets on concert goers, he is said to have had an encounter with hotel security guard Jesus Campos. Boy, I remember this one well. Well, Campos disappears, and then he's brought back, you know, he supposedly flees to Mexico. Then he comes back and he does an interview with Ellen Degenerate. Of course, you would come back and do an interview with her. No, I'm not going to do it with her. any newspaper or whatever. And then he disappears again, never to be seen again. And it turns out that uh, Campos, uh, who was allegedly shot in the right leg, the story goes, after Paddock fired 200 rounds down the hotel hallway, he was miraculously only hit once, all before the real rampage got underway, and somehow he failed to alert anybody that this had happened. You would think, wouldn't you, that um, <laughs> you're a hotel security guard, you're walking down a hotel corridor, some guy comes out and shoots 200 rounds at you, 
first of all, you wouldn't expect somebody to survive unless the person's got the accuracy of a, of a stormtrooper from Star Wars. <laughs> but <laughs> not since Star Wars Episode One have we seen this kind of poor shooting. Uh, but he survives. It's merely a flesh wound. And it really was a flesh wound, a slight wound on his left leg. Uh, there's no evidence uh, to this uh, writer's knowledge uh, depicting the hallway as being damaged by over 200 bullets fired at him. But, you know, this the security guard walks down there. Uh, he dodges this uh, stormtrooper who is shooting wildly all over the place, I guess, and then doesn't notify anybody. Further muddying the waters of the scene was the fact that he was never actually even registered as a security guard. Uh, but then, as I said, you know, he does a one-time interview with Ellen Degenerate uh, before he then disappears again, never to be seen of again. We should have Steve Pachinik if he knows him personally. <laughs> uh, maybe Alex knows him. I don't know. Well, the strangest didn't, strangeness didn't stop after the smoke had settled either. Questions of how he got his arsenal to the 32nd floor. And so it's like, how did he get all of these guns in here without anybody noticing it? So after a period of time, they show some footage of the elevator. They show some people helping him with baggage. And it's like, um, did they think that it was incredibly heavy or anything like that? <laughs> Why is it so heavy? I mean, you know, he's not Sam Brinton. He, he doesn't have uh, all these, <laughs> this massive wardrobe of clothes he's stolen from women. Uh, you would think. That, um, you know, when you see all these guns there, you would think there'd be some questions about why is this so heavy? And you would think that even though he had interactions for quite some time with a lot of hotel staff, at least 10 times he had interaction with hotel staff, you would think that somebody might have seen some of this massive arsenal of guns. It was later laid out for everybody to see as if it was um, cash and gold from Senator Menendez. However, numerous conflicting reports challenge... Um, the idea that it is was a lone gunman. We even have police scanner audio. Some of it sounds like a lone gunman, but others you can hear two guns firing. So um, there's also conflicting reports about additional people in his room. ABC News confirmed that Mandalay Bay staff heard Paddock talking to other individuals while ordering room service. The FBI, though, I mean, this is the FBI goes full magic bullet on this. They said, um, without having any reason to say so or giving any reason why they would say this, they said, um, he was merely faking not being alone. Yeah, sure. Of course he would. What? <laughs> and then it gets further complicated because he ordered dinner for two. So he's faking having a guest. Boy, I'm going to fool them. <laughs> Talk to myself. I'm going to order two meals. They'll never know what happened. I get those conspiracy theory people going. Uh, that was evidently his primary motivation. Uh, the question of Paddock's missing laptop hard drive, which was never found in the room, was never recovered by a ground team if it had been thrown out of a window. So, you know, who took it? Was it Hunter? I don't know. Uh, anyway, many bogus conspiracy theories abound, abound on both the left and the right wing, uh, and people are saying it's the Islamic State. They took credit for it. Other people have shut that down. Look, I think we see a lot of these wild claims out there. This is the danger, even if it isn't coming from the intelligence community. Wild speculative claims 
without any proof, uh, don't help our side at all. We got to stop at saying the official story is not true because that's all that we can really reasonably say. We can look at the official story and we can say, but that can't possibly be true. You need to give us some more information. If they refuse to give us more information, they want to use this to try to take away gun rights in a very new form. Then we understand what this is about. And we don't have the power of investigation and we can't get the evidence out of the FBI's clutches if they're determined to hide and destroy that evidence. So let's not try. And this is why I say all the time, I get so many people upset with me about uh, various other things. Oh, well, you know, uh, was it directed energy weapons or was it explosives on 9-11? Was it directed energy weapons or was it um, uh, gross uh, incompetence and negligence and prioritization of the green agenda, you know, let the, let everything go natural and forget about infrastructure. We don't have time for that. We got to put in some windmills and some solar farms and all the rest of this stuff. But I say, you know, we have to focus on what we know and we have to focus on their lies and not on our theories about what happened. Whether it was directed energy weapons or explosives on 9-11, either one of those would have indicated that it was an inside job. And we also know that the official story can't be true. That's all we need to know. What we need to know is that our government is lying to us. What we need to know is that our government is killing us. What we need to know is that they have a political agenda to do both of those things. That's what we need to know. A lot of these other things are being put out there deliberately by the people who are the lying murderers in order to make us look like idiots. And we need to stop taking the bait on that. That is not what we need to be debating. What we need to be debating is what do we do about these people and get people to understand what is happening. But they discredit our, our exposure of their lies by adding even more lies that we pick up then and want to defend. And so we become the people who are pushing out lies. And they get off the actual liars, go scot-free. That's the problem. So, again, uh, if we look at the crime scene pictures and all of the rest of this stuff, um, you know, there's a lot of questions that have been raised. You know, who did it? What was it? Was he, there's a weapons manufacturer, you know, and all the rest of this stuff. Was he exfiltrated with helicopters? Look, all of that is just speculation. Uh, but the reality is, is that you've got a lot of, uh, things that don't add up, including, for example, this, the burglary of his home, which took place under the keen surveillance, as the writer puts here, the keen surveillance of the police. And it somehow was never solved either. So while the police are watching his home and investigating his home and looking for evidence, just all of a sudden, all the evidence disappears in a burglary while the police are watching it. Now, come on. Yeah, stuff like that tells you exactly what you need to know. And it also tells you that the corruption is not just located in the Las Vegas Police Department, but it tells you that it's the FBI. Uh, his brother then immediately arrested for child pornography. Most mysterious of all, the deaths of a handful of surviving witnesses, all under suspicious circumstances. 
some of whom claim to have seen multiple shooters. Uh, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and its deep-seated corruption is no secret that it's one of the most corrupt police departments in the country. So. Uh, but since 2017, filmmaker Ramsey Dennison has produced two documentaries, What Happened in Vegas and The Money Machine. And, of course, it shows uh, uh, that the um, uh, people that are involved there, the, you know, the police officers and those who are higher up, lots of corruption. These people would be easily blackmailed to comply with all this stuff by the FBI. You know, when you look at things like vice, like prohibition and things like that, uh, <clears throat> it is one of the reasons why prohibition doesn't work is because most police officers look at it as, uh, you know, kind of like the, the scene from, uh, you know, Godfather. Well, you know, these people deserve what they get. They're a bunch of drug addicts and low lives, and uh, we don't have to uh, worry about that. Uh, it is something that they've chosen to do, right? They, they lie to themselves like that. Uh, and, and it corrupts them, but they're easily corrupted because, again, it is something that you do to yourself. But it's harder to corrupt police officers when you've got murder involved, especially mass murder, things that people really understand as crime. Everybody knows murder is a crime. Killing, you know, five dozen people. That's a big crime. Wounding another 900, that's a big crime. So how do you get people to go along with that kind of stuff? Well, that's where the blackmail of a corrupt police department comes in. And so the FBI abruptly closed its investigation in January of 2019, concluding that there was, quote, no single or clear motivating factor behind the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history. I uh, didn't answer even a single question. So there you go. We shouldn't question that. We just don't know. All we know is that it was the bump stock. That was the suspect. That was a murder suspect. That was what Trump focused on, the bump stock. It reeks of either gross negligence, deliberate cover-up, or dare we suggest a possible degree of direct involvement, which raises even worse concerns. So until a real investigation is carried out, says this article at Free Thought Project, until these persisting questions are answered, until the families of the slain have some semblance of understanding why their loved ones were stolen from them. That's the way you honor them. Gun control lady. And until justice is done and those insidious enough to hide the truth have been held accountable for their lives, we will never stop asking questions or demanding answers. But the left's only question is, how do we use this to ban guns? And here's what the answer was. We use Donald Trump. We come in and we do gun control by executive order. And the conservative rubes will never understand what happened to them as he sticks the knife in their back before he started sticking the hypodermic needle in our arms. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A couple of years later, we'll be right back. Making sense common again. You're listening to The David Knight Show. We got a <laughs> we got a fire alarm coming off in the Capitol building this weekend. Oh yeah, you know, just like Vegas, just like 9/11, just like COVID and climate. Uh, our government knows, and the people who run our government know, they can get away with this stuff if the media helps them cover up their lies. Oh yeah, it's a full alarm. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. I just could not help but play that. It brings back old memories. We used to do that as part of our band. Um, <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, we played that kind of music. Um, it was a lot of fun, actually, to play that kind of music. It's just, uh, anyway, um, uh, there's some, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> enough of that. Well, let's talk about what Jamal Bowman did. Uh, Bowman, uh, one of the eight most liberal members of Congress. You know, they have now gone um, genderless, I guess, in the squad. <laughs> it used to be for radical women, and now they have allowed and opened it up to uh, people like Jamal Bowman, 
and uh, I love what uh, Babylon B did with this. Uh, they did a follow-up story. Uh, Bo- Bowman pulls a fire alarm again while trying to flush a urinal. <laughs> well, you know, the Republicans are trying to flush him. I hope they're successful. Oh, my. Is that what this does? I thought it was for the urinal, he said. I, I thought pulling that lever would evacuate my urine from the receptacle. My mistake. I don't know what I'm doing here. And it's just about uh, that ridiculous. Actually, it's even more ridiculous. The true story. Where he says, I thought pulling the fire alarm would open the door. All right, yeah, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> this is... Uh, uh, he's a former high school, a former school principal, not high school, junior high school, I think, or middle school. Uh, moments before they were going to vote on this shutdown bill, and he shut down and delayed Congress for an hour and a half. And, of course, people are making the obvious comparison to January the 6th and the big crime of obstructing a, an official proceeding. Uh, you know, he delayed it for an hour and a half. I don't know how long uh, the January the 6th thing was delayed, but. Uh, you know, they're going to just uh, look the other way. I think a photo being circulated by Capitol police appears to show him pulling the fire alarm. And if you falsely report a fire that is a misdemeanor in the district of Columbia, punishable by a fine or up to six months imprisonment, but he's got bigger, uh, crimes that, um, people who are looking at this have managed to come up with not Jack Smith or the justice department, of course. But people on the Republican side, you know, because law enforcement has now become a partisan issue. So you won't hear a peep out of the Democrats or out of the Biden Department of Justice. It'll be up to the Republicans to theorize about all the different things that he could be and should be charged with, but will not be charged with. Uh, Bowman spent uh, 10 years as a high school principal, uh, as school again, school principal, not high school, and a state that requires 12 fire alarm drills per year. So I think he knows, don't you? I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> as Travis kept saying, how is he this big of a liar or this big of a fool? You know, are we supposed to believe that he's that dumb that he can't figure out what this is? Of course he can. Uh, you know, what is dumb is the idea that anybody thinks that he's going to be punished for this. He knows that he can do that and get away with it. That's why he did it. As a school principal, he knows what the issue is for a false alarm. He knows what that would be. And he knows what this thing is all about. His office similarly issued a statement claiming that he didn't know that he would trigger the fire alarm by pulling it. Congress Bowman did not realize that he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. The Congressman regrets any confusion. No, he just knows that he can get away with it. And so um, here's what it looks like, by the way. Uh, this is, um, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene does a video and I'll, I'll, I've got a compressed version of that. It's a very long, uh, video where she walks around and shows you where the actual exit is, but she points out that this exit here is open through the week, but it's closed on weekends. And when they close it, they, um, lock those doors and they, um, put up a sign that says emergency exit only. And then there's another sign on the door itself, on the, you know, the, the bar that releases the door that we all know because we've all done that. Uh, it says, if you uh, uh, push, uh, the alarm will sound. And then the door will unlock in 30 seconds. So it's emergency exit only. It says, if you push this bar, 
the alarm is going to go off. And after 30 seconds of an alarm, then it's going to open up and let you out. Uh, and of course, you can make that happen even faster if you uh, pull the alarm switch on the side. But that's what it looked like when the thing was closed down on a weekend. And uh, then they also have a, a close-up picture. It is a standard uh, fire alarm thing, and it's got even more clues as to what it is besides the red color uh, and the big word that says fire. <laughs> it also says you got to push in and pull down. So having never activated one of these things myself, I thought, well, you know, that's not as easy as opening up a door, is it? And, you know, to open up those doors, it triggers the alarm. You just push on the bar. But this, you got to push in, pull down. Hmm. Okay, even harder to operate than a doorknob. I'm just wondering if some enterprising person isn't going to come up with uh, little doorknobs that look like fire alarms and, <laughs> and call them, uh, you know, do some Bowman merchandise. Somebody's got to come up with that. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so a middle school principal uh, uh, doesn't know how to advise students how to pull the fire alarm to the doors, says one user. Joe Cunningham said, uh, Jamal Bowman was a principal for 10 years. For his office to claim that he didn't know what would happen is extraordinary. As a principal, you were trained to know exactly what a fire alarm does. And more importantly, exactly the chain of events that takes place when one is pulled. You don't have to be a principal to know that. Uh, they don't have any special fire classes about that, but they certainly would be aware of it because they're doing the drills. Now, here's what Marjorie Taylor Greene did. Uh, she showed us the scene, but of course, uh, the stuff that I showed there, all the, you know, all of the signs that says this is emergency exit only, this is closed and everything, that's only there on the weekends. And uh, she shot this on a weekday. Hi everyone, we are at the infamous door where Jamal Bowman claims he had to pull a fire alarm to get out. Now these doors are open on weekdays. Every member of Congress knows that, everybody that works here knows that. But on Saturdays and Sundays, they are locked and only certain doors are open on Saturdays and Sundays. Now come on over here. This right here is a fire alarm. Nowhere does it say pull the fire alarm to open the exit door. Okay, so now this is the compressed thing where she walks around talking about what it's like in Congress and how everybody knows where the entrances and exits are. There's the emergency exit. New Jersey. This one is open all the time. Not just some of the time, all the time. So let's explain very clearly again. Jamal Bowman didn't pull the fire alarm to try to get out of the building because he had to rush to go vote. I know that for a fact because I also work in the Cannon office building and I watched Catherine Clark, the Democrat whip, make a motion to adjourn and then within minutes, Jamal Bowman pulled a fire alarm and he knew he was pulling a fire alarm because he's a former middle school principal and then he ran out of the building and didn't tell anybody he did that and this building was evacuated for over an hour and Congress had to hold the vote open. That's usually only 15 minutes on the first vote. They held it open for over an hour as well. There's some serious problems for Jamal Bowman and he needs to be prosecuted for violating the same federal law that they are prosecuting January 6th defendants and President Trump. And President Trump, okay. Well, I understand the connection with the January 6th people. And I understand that he was doing this to uh, interrupt the proceedings. And so it is a direct analogy here. Uh, but here's where things are different. 
You see, unlike Trump and the GOP, the Democrats will protect their own. Trump and the GOP throw the January the Sixers under the bus. They don't protect their own. And uh, if you want to bring Trump into it, uh, he's the guy that told the January the Sixers to pull the alarm. You know, he's like saying, hey, go over there and pull that thing. See what happens. Yeah, that'll be cool. Watch this. It's going to be really neat. Oh, it's going to be wild. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was doing. He was telling them to pull the alarm. And, uh, and then open the door. <laughs> but first, give me your money. <laughs> give me your money and then go over there and pull that alarm. If you want an analogy, Marjorie Taylor Greene, to Trump, that's the appropriate analogy for Trump. Um, give me the money and I'll tell you what to do. It's going to be wild. Anyway, Bowman could get decades in jail, assuming that we had equal protection under the law. But since we don't, since Republicans are not protected by Trump or by the GOP uh, from any persecution from Democrats, and since Democrats don't persecute their own like Republicans do, nothing is going to happen to him. He could face three different charges, the big one, of course, being the interruption of the House proceedings. But um, uh, the uh, one offense could be a false report of an emergency under the D.C. law. That's a misdemeanor, as I said before, six months in prison and a $1,000 fine, max punishment for that. Uh, the second one is more serious. The second one is not a misdemeanor. It's a felony to falsely, quote, falsely pulling an alarm, fire alarm could also constitute illegal obstruction of congressional proceedings, a felony under federal law. The felony is punishable by no more than five years. And third, there is the obstruction of justice charge, a favorite, by the way, of the Biden Department of Justice to apply to their political enemies, but will not be applied to their political friend. I guarantee it, uh, which includes, quote, corruptly or by threats of force, any way obstructs or impedes or endeavors to obstruct or to impede the due administration of justice in any official proceeding. That carries a maximum penalty of up to 30 years, as we've been seeing. If he receives the highest sentence, he could spend 35 years and six months in jail if the sentence was given consecutively, if he was charged with all three of those things, which you would expect the Department of Justice to do and Jack Smith, because, you know, Jack Smith goes in and he's got a shopping list. Let's see, what are all the different things that we could charge anybody with? And he ramps it up with everything, you know. They jaywalk? Is there anything in there? You know, <laughs> we could put that in there, too. Uh, Andy Biggs, representative from Arizona. Republican, called Bowman an insurrectionist, which is you know, what they've been calling the January the 6th people. Trump said Bowman should suffer the same consequences as those charged for the January the 6th events. And so, um, you know, Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene, this is why Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying it, is because Trump said it. But, you know, they're both saying he needs to get the same charges of the people on January the 6th. Here's an idea. If, if you weren't radical authoritarians looking to lock everybody up maybe you could say that if you're going to let him go free you let the january the sixers go free but trump takes the opposite approach doesn't he he says lock everybody up which is why i say lock him and biden up <clears throat> lock both of them up i've said this all along lock them both up and throw away the key for what they did throughout 2020 and 2021 and the rest of this stuff they both need to be locked up but as far as the rest of this stuff goes 
you know, let's let's magnanimously let Jamal Bowman go free, not prosecute him because we know the Democrats won. And then let's say that because he gets to go free, then um, because of equal protection of the law, the January the Sixers get to go free as well. But that's not what you hear from Trump and from Marjorie Taylor Greene. No, we want everybody uh, to be locked up. She said, I'm calling on the Department of Justice to prosecute him using the same law they're using to prosecute January the 6th defendants for interfering with an official proceeding. I just think we've got too many people in prison already from the federal government. But Mrs. Law and Order, throw everybody in jail rather than letting the January the 6thers go. Um, So, anyway. Uh, it, uh, that, that's the way this is going to go. And of course, uh, um, you haven't seen the end of lawfare. If president Trump gets elected, there's just going to be more civil war under all of that stuff. Good example is this. He says, um, <clears throat> he should be persecuted the exact same way as the J six people were prosecuted. He said in a, a speech and he went on to say, he said, many of them, the J sixers have been treated more unfairly than anybody in the history of our country. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, you know, that's all because of you, Trump. It's all because of you. You're the one who told them, hey, go down here. Pull that alarm and see what happens. All right, first, give me your wallet. Then go pull that alarm and see what happens. And then you let them twist in the wind when you could have pardoned them. Because if you had pardoned them, uh, they might have come after you. Oh, but they did anyway, didn't they? Yeah. And you get what you deserve. Uh, What they've done to the J6ers is terrible, said Trump. And uh, Bowman went and he pulled an alarm and you could add riots and you could add everything else. And he did it during a vote and he should be treated the exact same way. See, Trump takes no responsibility for what happens to the J6ers. None whatsoever, even to this day. Just as he takes no responsibility for the jab and how it killed and maimed people either. Or for the lockdowns, or for the masks, or for anything else. Meanwhile, Jamal Bowman staff started throwing around the N-word everywhere. You know, Nazi. (laughs) Uh, He pulls the race flag, as always. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and it's a false alarm. He, he pulls that, uh, button <laughs> in case of trouble, uh, scream racism. Yeah, that's the, the button that usually the Democrat party is, uh, or the alarm they're usually pulling. So he issued a defiant statement yesterday 
And he blamed a staff member because, you know, whenever they get caught committing crimes, it's a GOP that's racist. It referenced, quote, Nazi Republicans and a talking points memo sent by his office to every Democrat House member. You you guys, look, I'm, I'm one of you. You need to get behind me. Don't let them throw me in jail. <laughs> it's kind of like a, <clears throat> a Reichstag fire alarm, isn't it? <laughs> a false flag fire alarm that we've got going on here. But he's really kind of projecting all this onto the Nazis. He's from Brooklyn, this radical leftist. His, uh, as it's put by uh, Breitbart, bizarre non-apology acknowledged the, quote, inappropriate usage of the N-word, Nazi, uh, which he claimed was used without his consent, while specifying the instances in which the term should be used. I just became aware that in our messaging guidance, there was an inappropriate use of the term, the N-word, Nazi, without my consent. He says it is important to specify that the N-word has to refer to members of the N-word party, and the double N-word. Oh, that'd be neo-Nazis. <laughs> Their N-word uh, political party. But that's what this has become now. So now everybody is talking about his use of the term Nazis rather than his use of the fire alarm. Uh, occasional Cortex was on the Sunday show with none other than fake Jake Tapper who called her out on this, called out one of her own, because again, you know, uh, he's a member of the squad. And um, she said that him pulling the fire alarm was just due to, quote, a moment of panic. Well, he's having a moment of panic now, isn't he? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the uh, one of the members of the Stalinist squad. Uh, Jake Tapper, in interviewing her, said, well, there was an interesting moment over the weekend when your New York colleague, Congressman Jamal Bowman, he's under investigation for this now after the Capitol Police said he pulled a fire alarm in one of the House office buildings. Showed a picture of it, and he said, there he is, pulling the fire alarm. You know, we, we got a picture here of him doing it. Uh, he says it was an accident. <laughs> he thought pulling the fire alarm would open a door. Based on the fact that the doors to his right there were locked. And there was a sign that I think someone said it was confusing. Uh, yeah, confusing. That big, yeah, let me just pull this up again here. This is the confusing sign. Emergency exit only. <laughs> uh, do not push this. It, alarm will sound. You know, it was very confusing. Uh, he says, I'll be honest, said fake Jake. Even fake Jake cannot go there to try to excuse this. He says, it doesn't really make sense to me. Have you talked to him? Uh, so, uh, when fake Jake says, I'll be honest, you know, this is one of the ways that you, (laughs) I've noticed so many times that people who are liars will say stuff like, now I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) It's like, what? Okay. Newsflash. This person who normally lies to me is not going to be honest to me. Why would you feel compelled to say that? Uh, So I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. Now this is really hard to explain. So occasional cortex uh, her cortex does not seem to be working this day. So as I think if you actually do see some of the photos of the signs, I think there's something to be said about the government's ab- about to shut down. And, and there's a vote clock that's going down. The, the vote clock isn't anywhere near that exit, by the way. Uh, the exits uh, that are normally open in that building are suddenly closed. And Tapper said, so he pulled the fire alarm. 
Yeah, we got pictures of it. Will you just admit that he pulled the viral arm? Occasional cortex says, well, what I'm here to say is that the House administration, the U.S. Capitol Police, and Jamal Bowman are an active. Did I say an active investigation? They are an active. And he's fully participating in saying that there was a misunderstanding. Mistakes were made whenever they commit a crime. Mistakes were made. But what I do think is that it's important to raise is the fact that the Republicans, the Republicans did this, representing a minority, moved to file motions to censure, motions to expel, before there's even been conversations that are finished to even see if there's a misunderstanding here. At which point he should have said, do you misunderstand this picture of him pulling the alarm? What is it that you misunderstand here? What, what is there that we need to, uh, to look into? And then she brings up, you know, but, but what about their criminals? What about their criminals? And this is what I said from the very beginning. When you saw McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene embrace George Santos, he's a Republican. He can do no wrong. And so I said, this is really not going to help them at all. It's not going to help them with the public. It's not going to help them with any of these uh, persecutions of January the 6th or anything to embrace this kind of corruption because it's one of your own. I said earlier that the GOP and Trump do not protect their own. Well, they don't protect their supporters and their voters and their donors. They do support one of their own when it's one of their own congressmen no matter what that person does. And so she brings up <clears throat> all of the, uh, the indictments. And of course, he's not had a trial yet of George Santos. Uh, she said they didn't do the same when George Santos was actually found guilty after a thorough investigation after 13 federal charges. He's indicted on everything from wire fraud to actually lying about these House investigators, and they've been buddying up and giggling with him on the House floor. Well, again, Maybe I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, there's not been a trial yet with this. And, um, and so um, there may have been uh, uh, some internal hearings or something like that, or maybe the DNC had a meeting where they found him guilty, but there hasn't been a public trial yet of this, I believe. But look, um, th- this is a much simpler case. Uh, all the things that he's charged with, wire fraud and a lot of other things, it allows a, a criminal to, you know, maneuver and, you know, well, it's not exactly what you think it is, that type of thing. You know, like she's trying to claim about Jamal Bowman. Pulling a fire alarm and having a picture of it, uh, that's a pretty clear cut case. <laughs> There's not really much to talk about with that. Uh, so, uh, but you know, whenever you do that, whenever you, uh, back up these people as McCarthy did, as Marjorie Taylor Greene did, it really does undercut their argument. But see, this is what we have become on both the left and the right. Crimes done by the other people should be ruthlessly prosecuted to the fullest extreme and beyond. We should come up with all kinds of ancillary charges that we can think of. But if it's one of our own, well. No harm, no foul. Don't care. She said they're filing a motion to expel a member who, in a moment of panic, was trying to escape a vestibule. Give me a break, she said. Well, you know, if you're going to have the same standard treatment for Jamal that you do for the January Sixers, which, of course, never happened, but he should be, instead of trying to escape a vestibule, 
you ought to be put into a vestibule for decades if they're going to be treated the same way as the J6ers. Or better yet, let's let the J6ers out of their vestibules that they've been put into for decades. Equal protection under the law. Uh, it's a very different thing than uh, equity, isn't it? Now, the Democrats have proposed a $12 billion study, according to Babylon B, to determine what this strange red handle thingy does. <laughs> Maybe that was sponsored by Occasional Cortex. Democrats on Capitol Hill called an emergency meeting to prepare a massive $12 billion funding bill to determine the origin and purpose of the multiple small red panel thingies that are found on the walls of hallways throughout the U.S. Capitol complex. We must find out what these mystery devices are and what they are used for, said Alexandria Occasional Cortex. After recently finding out that they're not used to open doors, we must prioritize learning who put these things here and what magical powers they possess. Nancy Pelosi said, don't touch it. She was heard slurring, <laughs> writes the Babylon Bee. We don't know what it does. It might open an interdimensional portal. I heard about those at a secret meeting, and I'm not sure we want to open one here, unless there's vodka. And then Hakeem Jeffries, the House Minority Leader, immediately called for Congress to pass legislation to allot $12 billion to fund an extensive investigation to identify the devices. He said, we must get to the bottom of this. These red boxes with strange, indecipherable writing on them must be important. You know, the fire. You know. <laughs> At publishing time, Republican majority in the House of Representatives was rumored to be willing to pass the $12 billion funding proposal, as long as the Democrats would agree to include an additional $10 billion worth of aid to go to Ukraine. And the Babylon Bee knows exactly how Congress works, isn't it? And so, of course, we're going to have the back and forth now between Matt Gates and and McCarthy, and everybody can talk about that, so we don't talk about what they're uh, doing to us. So we don't talk about stopping the war. So we don't talk about stopping the war against us, the vaccines, and all the rest of this stuff. So we don't actually do anything. We can now have a one-on-one -on -one fight between McCarthy and Matt Gates. Uh, that kind of uh, insider football, quite frankly, I'm not interested in it at all. Uh, this is not our problem. It's not our problem any more than, um, you know, most of the stuff that is focused on by the media, by the presidential races, the rest of this. Uh, Jamal Bowman, this is the real, this is the real alarm that he raised. You know, and it's not a $12 billion uh, uh, study to figure out what these red thingies are on the walls everywhere that cause alarms to go off that Babylon B is talking about. This is an even bigger joke. This is even more ludicrous. This is climate alarmism. And this is July of 2021, two years ago. Jamal unveiled his Green New Deal for public schools. You say the Democrats, especially the radical squad that occasional cortex and Jamal are part of, they were pushing real hard for the Green New Deal Trillions of dollars and uh, that stuff from us to be paid for and ways to shut down our lives. Now, as a former principal of a middle school, he jumped in on all the different ways that they could, you know, we got trillions of dollars. We got to come up with uh, ways that we can say we're going to spend that money. 
regardless of what we really do with it, right? So get on the phone with uh, Jamal. I was like, you are a principal. Can you think of some things that we could spend, um, you know, trillions of dollars on that have to do with public schools? And he was more than happy to come up with that. A Green New Deal for Public Schools he released two years ago, July 2021. Uh, the Green New Deals for Public Schools Act had 32 co-sponsors. More than you can get to sign up to stop CBDC. They aim to invest $1.4 trillion over 10 years in public schools and infrastructure to combat climate change. Focusing support on high-need schools. Hiring and training hundreds of thousands of additional educators. And if enacted, they could fund 1.3 million jobs per year. And eliminate, they said, 78 million metric tons of CO2 annually, the equivalent of taking 17 million cars off of the road. Well, let's break this down. These additional educators and support staff, you've got to understand, really, in a sense, this is not as ludicrous as it sounds. <clears throat> because the schools, the government schools, are the epicenter of the climate MacGuffin. That is where the fear and the lies are you know, uh, spewed from, for the most part. Getting the kids at a young age, impressionable age, and uh, grooming them for fear with all of this stuff. And uh, so you're going to hire all these additional educators to do even more fear-mongering to these kids. And, of course, um, the ultimate goal, as he points out here, look at how much good we could do. This would be as good for us as if we took 17 million cars off the road, because that's what it always comes back down to. Taking away your mobility and your liberty Locking you away in cities. That's what it is always about. No, when you talk about pulling the fire alarm, that's not nearly as serious as pulling the climate alarmism. And uh, we need to expose these people. Liar, liar. Planet's not on fire. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Some more climate fire alarmism. We'll be right back.
You're listening to The David Knight Show. Well, I have um, from a guard, Goldsmith, and I'm going to not cover it just yet. I want to uh, continue with the alarmism here. Uh, but we have an update about uh, the sentencing of Ian Freeman. Uh, we've talked about that before. Guards come on and talked at length about it. Somebody in New Hampshire. It's a horrible uh, abuse of uh, law enforcement. Uh, just as we're talking about how Jamal Bowman is not going to get anything done to him. And we see what is happening to the January Sixers. Uh, he really had the book thrown at him. I'm going to tell you what uh, guard said about it. I've got the email that he sent me. Um, and I want to say before we get into the climate alarmism, uh, thank you on Rockfin to Psalm 144. Thank you very much for the tip. He said, I actually get to see the show live today. I think they should use Neuralink to resurrect Diane Feinstein and create Frankenfeinstein. If they start now, they can unveil it by Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Uh, love you, Dave. Have a great day. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Psalm 144. I appreciate that. Uh, we will. I do have uh, some information here about Feinstein, uh, that I think is interesting. You know, the appointment by Newsom, what, how, what over the top corruption, what an affrontery even to the people of California, the clear politics behind this, especially, you know, pointing somebody from Maryland, but we'll take a look at who that person is, but we'll also take a look at the massive fortune that uh, diane frankenstein was able to accumulate you want to wonder you wonder why these people never leave because it isn't about them doing a job it isn't about them being public servants they are not there to serve the public whatsoever they're there to serve themselves and that's why they won't leave the same thing is true of people like mitch mcconnell as i said before this gerontocracy is going to be taken out feet first They'll be term limited by God uh, because uh, nobody else can get rid of them. That's how corrupt our economic system is. Everybody knows how inept these people are. And yet uh, the selection that happens is not an honest election. They were able to stay in there and continue to accumulate wealth and power. And there's a whole machinery behind them. And with somebody who is as incapacitated as Dianne Feinstein or John Fetterman, or Joe Biden, or fill in the blank, you know, Mitch McConnell, you can clearly see the fact that they're just front men or women for a political machine that continues to grift and to steal and to commit crimes. The World Economic Forum, however, thinks that we should criminalize climate inaction. That's right. Uh, they said that uh, they want to violate human rights because they said if you don't become a true believer in their religion. Uh, you are violating other people's human rights. You see how they turn this thing around? They begin, they know that they want to violate human rights. And so what they do is they say, well, uh, being, uh, doing nothing about climate is a violation of people's human rights. So therefore we get to violate your real human rights. Yeah, no uh, false fire alarms, right? You know, the false alarms coming about this climate stuff are far, 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 far more dangerous than anything Jamal Bowman did. Because these false alarms are being used to burn down everything in our society. Our infrastructure, our economy, our liberty, our lives, all being burned down by these false alarms. Liar, liar. No planet on fire. 
running too many electric lights for too long? Well, it could boost your utility bill, but it can also make you a criminal. Uh, this is a story <clears throat> from WND. Uh, you would be, quote-unquote, criminal if you're guilty of climate inaction, quote-unquote, by not meeting the demands of those who have submitted themselves to this new religion. He calls it an ideology. It's a religion. Uh, Slay News explained the World Economic Forum is calling on governments around the globe to turn people into criminals if they fail um, to act on climate. So, you know, you have to... Um, they're going to rigidly enforce this religion if, if you don't go through their religious rituals and you don't, uh, uh, you're not a true believer in their doctrines. You are now a criminal. Severe penalties must follow, said the World Economic Forum, because those offenses would be classified as a, quote, human rights violation, turning the very definition upside down. They said um, in the World Economic Forum report, in most civilized nations around the world, human rights violations are serious crimes that carry harsh punishments. Well, they know what they're doing. They know that if they were to propose human rights violations, which is what they are proposing, uh, they would be calling for crimes to be committed against humanity. But so they turn it around and they say that if you don't do the things that they demand, the things that they say they believe, then uh, you are violating the human rights of other people. They then say, is climate in action, therefore, a human rights violation? It charges that climate deniers are responsible for the record-breaking number of heart-related deaths. It's not the jab, you see. Um, it's the same thing that that insurance executive, One America, that he said, you know, we see this in the third and fourth quarter of uh, 2021. You know, when Biden said, okay, this is authorized, we've got our emergency use authorization, and we're going to, you know, we moved on from that, we've now given it full approval, and uh, we're going to mandate this, and that's when the death rates shot up so much so, they said it was like, um, it was beyond three standard deviations from the mean, something you wouldn't expect to see at an insurance company where they look at these statistical records, you wouldn't expect to see that except once every 200 years, but he said, they're saying that these are not COVID deaths, but I know differently. I know that they're all wrong. I know they're COVID deaths. And I also know that um, nobody dies if they get the vaccine. So therefore, the people who are dying from these excess deaths are unvaccinated people, and we should charge them more insurance company, uh, more insurance premiums. So you have a syllogism there. Uh, two false premises leading to a ludicrously false conclusion. And so that's essentially what the World Economic Forum is doing. False premise that uh, climate inaction is a violation of human rights. And uh, then jumping into this, and people actually dying from heart-related diseases. It's not the Trump shot. So we're justified to violate your human rights. In the same way that if we hate what you say, we can call it hate speech and censor you. Uh, and we're the ones who actually do hate speech. Satan type of stuff that we have seen, the way these people play with language, the way they play with law, the way they turn everything upside down, inside out. Uh, our political masters have become masters at doing this for quite some time. They've been doing this with the Constitution. 
Uh, now it's been taken to new extremes. Uh, this was sent to me by Mike. Um, I won't read the last name unless people tell me they want the last name read. But thank you, Mike. Uh, this was um, an article about Michael Mann. He's got a new book out. And uh, comments from Mike, he says, uh, <laughs> uh, this, the title of this um, article from Salon where they interviewed uh, Michael Mann about his new book. Title was, we can't fix this fri- if we can't fix this frightening problem, then we have no hope of addressing the climate. And he says, of course, um, uh, we have no hope of addressing this climate crisis. So says the proprietary high priest of the climate MacGuffin, Michael Mann. And he absolutely is. He says, of course, he's got another book out. And I'm sure that his quote-unquote proprietary data is nowhere to be found in this book as well. Yes, thank you, Mike. And, of course, I've told that story many times. Mike is familiar with it. Just a brief recap. You know, Michael Mann was involved in Climate Gate, which went back to, was the first one 2009 or was that the second one? I can't remember now. But it was mid-2000s. It was at the University of East Anglia in the U.K. They're passing messages back and forth. we got to hide the decline. Our models aren't working. How do, we, how do we rig this so we're not discredited and all the rest of this stuff? Very expressly admitting that none of their stuff is right, and they're lying to the public. And it really blew up in the press. And so as uh, Piers Corbin, who I talked to last week, is in the UK, said, yeah, so whatever happened to that? He goes, well, as always, you got something that exposes what they're doing, they have a commission to investigate it. You know, like we had the JFK uh, Presidential Assassination Commission, like we had the 9-11 Commission. Well, they had the um, Climate Gate Commission. And just as you see in all these things, oh, yeah, nothing to see here. Uh, move along. We've got a bunch of lies that they sell people and uh, exonerate themselves from any wrongdoing. That's what we typically see coming out of these commissions. That's what we saw coming out of the uh, Climate Gate uh, Commission. And then a couple of years later, there are even more emails that were even more incriminating. You know, the first group of emails from the first Climate Gate thing was only a thousand. And a couple of years later, it was 5,000 gates, uh, 5,000 emails that came out. And uh, so um, some of those emails involved Michael Mann, who was a big hero to the climate change people, still is. He was featured prominently in, in Al Gore's movie, Inconvenient Truth. He blows up his false model and projection, saying that as uh, CO2 goes up, temperature will rise accordingly, and he shows them going up exponentially and Al Gore blows up this chart to be like a full story and a half high. And he gets on an electric uh, riser to emphasize as he goes up talking about it, the whole thing, such a, such a scripted joke. And so a group that I was with uh, said, we'd like to see your data, Mr. Man. Uh, you want to talk about man-made climate change? You got to spell it with two M's. Okay. <laughs> This is a fiction of his imagination and Al Gore and all the rest of these people. They're the ones making this up. It's M-A-N-N made climate change. Anyway, um, you know, the University of Virginia, where he put this stuff together and he did it while he was working there and he was paid and it was used to the, the data. You know, the conclusions are published. It was all published. There was nothing proprietary about it. He did it at a public institution being paid by the public institution he did it while he was working there, the emails. It was the, his, not his private emails. It was his emails from the University of Virginia. It had already been used to craft public policy. He 
you know, the University of Virginia did not want to give those things up. And so the group that I was with fought them in court and they were going to lose. And the University of Virginia then gave up at the last minute and Michael Mann comes in then and still at the University of Pennsylvania. And he says, those are my private emails. And so he came in to defend them as his private emails because there was no defense from the University of Virginia to try to keep this stuff hidden. And uh, he was able to win in court and keep all of his data secret. Now, that's the background here, and that's what uh, Mike understands. And so I apologize to Mike and anybody else who've heard that story before, but it's important to have the context there. And um, so now in this new book, it's called Our Fragile Moment. And um, he is, um, in this interview, um, he says, uh, the interviewer says, one might expect this book to follow the pattern one so often sees in the literary sub-genre of climate change fiction. I'm sorry, nonfiction is what he wrote, right? No, it's fiction. It's climate change fiction. I didn't make a mistake. I said that deliberately. And it is a sub-genre of climate change fiction. And the familiar pattern, which this guy is very well aware of, is how human-caused greenhouse gas effect is warming the planet and bemoaning the fact that entrenched powers are thwarting the necessary reforms. And by extension, we have a bleak conclusion about humanity's future. This is what they have trained Greta to regurgitate. We're all going to die. Shame on you. You've stolen my future. I can't have kids and all the rest of this stuff, right? Except he said, that's not what this book does. It's very interesting because now we've seen Bill Gates make that pivot. Talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Bill Gates said, yeah, we, we got to stop with this brute force stuff. He said, the reality is, is that's going to cause pushback. We got to burn the frogs more slowly. And he says, uh, Bill Gates says, and, and let's understand that anybody who is in a temperate zone, it's not going to be the end of the world for them. You know, it's going to change some things, but it's not the end of the world. This is Bill Gates saying this. And now we got Michael Mann saying this. Uh, so again, this is what I would call the Gates pivot. But of course, maybe it is the Michael Mann pivot because maybe, you know, Gates got a heads up that this is coming out. So yeah, we need to, we need to find some way that the powers that be the people who are pushing this, uh, pan, planet on fire lie are now saying, uh, you know what, uh, we can't move this quickly with him unless we actually do set the planet on fire with a nuclear war or something, then we can get what we want. Um, but you know, let, let's push, pull back a little bit for a while because people are catching on in the same way. They've got this new narrative out there saying, now you've got the establishment saying, I, it's, we didn't kill you with the vaccine. It was really a virus, but it came out of Wuhan and it was the Chinese who did it. And, uh, so don't get mad at us. So Gates is saying the same thing that Michael Mann is saying. The point of this book, which I think is very interesting, is the fact that they're both pulling back and saying uh, they're, they're going anti-Greta. They're going to leave this girl out there. <laughs> They've got her out on a limb, and now Gates and Michael Mann are sawing off that limb that Greta has put herself way out on. Our fragile moment does not fall into those traps. Instead of being dire, the book dares to be optimistic. Michael Mann argues that an earth 
too hot to support life is unlikely to occur unless there is total inaction on climate change, which does not appear to be happening. So they still hold that fear out there for you. You know, if, if you really completely ignore this, and if you call this a, a planet on fire hoax, as I do, well, then, you know, you could kill us. But if we do something, you know, just give me some, you know, work with me here. You know, give me some money and, you know, let's build some massive solar farms that are many times uh, the number, the square footage of uh, some of the smaller states. I mentioned it last week. I totaled it up. Something like 11 of the smallest states. The entire square footage of the 11 smallest states is what they want to turn into just solar farms. Who knows how much more they want for wind farms. And, um, of course, that's going to be used uh, to confiscate our property. Now, we got to have it. Eminent domain. Got to have that solar power. Got to have it. So we're going to take your all of your rural farmland because that's what will happen. And it's not going to be a contiguous area um, equal to, you know, I think it was 11 states. Uh, there'll, there'll be massive super cities, uh, jails that they can put you into while they use this as an excuse to confiscate the rural areas. Uh, but anyway, he says, uh, so um, unless there's total inaction, that's not what's going to happen. Our current trajectory for warming, says Michael Mann, though dangerous and civilization altering, so gotta have still be afraid, still be afraid. But let, let's pull this back a little bit. It's not as bad as some of the earlier worst case scenarios that scientists had warned about. This is a major pivot. I mean, they've been telling us that this is our last chance to to do something about this, or we're all going to die. And how many times have we heard that over the last fifty years? How many times have we heard that over the last five years? Uh, so now they're pulling back a little bit on this because now everybody is seeing that it is destroying our lives. It is destroying our economy. Nothing is working. They're taking us back into a literal dark age. He says, um, this person who's reviewing it says the book, our fragile moment celebrates the beauty and the resilience of our planet's history by probing it in depth. Man's glass half full perspective on our battle against climate change celebrates the sheer joy of scientific knowledge. This from a guy who fought like a demon to hide his data. I'm sorry, that's not science. And nobody that does anything like that is deserving of the term scientist. They're not deserving of the term doctor, which is not a medical doctor, but a Ph.D., he doesn't. He ought to have his PhD revoked. Um, the our fragile moment avoids the pitfalls of pessimism. Pessimism simply by sharing scientific knowledge. Yeah, right, right. Hey, I'll believe that when he shares the data that was the basis for his conclusions, which he never will. They have a quote from the book where he says skepticism is a good thing in science, but there is a lot of bad faith out efforts to distort and to impair understanding, and that is not skepticism. Hmm. So you understand, you're not allowed to challenge what the high priests say. He's got a new definition of skepticism. Uh, Skepticism must not be questioning their data. Skepticism is a question that you ask in bad faith. 
a question coming from somebody who disagrees with his conclusions, for example, or the prescriptions coming from the Biden administration or from the squad about the new green agenda. Life on Earth has been around for about four billion years, he says. This is Michael Mann. Uh, so he said, two and a half billion years ago, we had snowball Earth. Well, I don't believe any of these numbers. I think they're way too big. I'm a young earther, I'm a young earth creationist. Uh, so, and I know that from the climate perspective, I know exactly when snowball earth was around, I was still alive. I was in high school. Snowball earth began in 1970 and it went from 1970, the first earth day to 1978. That was the lie that Michael Mann and people of his ilk, people like Paul Ehrlich, whose real agenda is to kill us all. Depopulation, the population bomb was Paul Ehrlich's book. And he was, you know, one of the big organizers and public face of, um, you know, the person that everybody interviewed about it. And they were saying, oh, we're going to go into a new ice age, snowball earth. And that lasted for seven years. It didn't last for two and a half billion years, Michael Mann. It lasted for seven years. And then you changed it all, and we went to Fireball Earth. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, the interviewer says, you mentioned in your book, there's a tendency on the part of the media to promote a somewhat alarmist approach to climate change. See, he's pulling back from the climate alarmism. We called them alarmists. And they called us infidels. Oh, no, I mean, uh, deniers, right? Same thing. You're a bunch of climate infidels. Off with their heads, right? <laughs> uh, just like radical Islamicists. They're, they're, they're radical religion. And now they're pulling back. You know, these are now friendly, uh, <laughs> friendly people out there. Uh, it seems to be derived from, if not scientific illiteracy, at least a lack of familiarity with the complexities of climate science. Now, what, we're, what we need to be more familiar with is actually his data to show what he measured. He doesn't want us to see that because they were trying to hide that decline. What are some solutions to this so that the media can balance emphasizing the reality of human-caused climate change with explaining the nuances of science? In other words, you've left us out here. The media now for decades have been pushing this radical alarmism, and now you're saying that's not true? Please tell us how we need to proceed at this point so it can properly be in alignment with what you, Michael Mann, and Bill Gates uh, are doing with this new climate pivot. Uh, it's just like the way they pivoted from snowball earth to fireball earth. Uh, these people have been caught pulling the fire alarm again and again and again, and they're pulling our legs with this stuff. Uh, Michael Mann, and, and they interspersed the, if they have this article from um, Salon, they intersperse all these quotes from Michael Mann, which are absolutely ludicrous if you know the history of the man. He wants to tell us the history of the earth. Let me tell you the history of the climate alarmism movement, and let me tell you the history of Michael Mann. The evolution, he said, of science occurs through incremental increases in our knowledge that don't radically change our understanding, but fine-tune it. Okay, show me your data. 
He says, I talk about the whiplash effect. Says a, a journalist, uh, Andy Revkin, once called it, and he said, the fact that you knew you need a news hook for a story, and so, of course, you want to present what's new in a different, novel, and exciting way, uh, just that very process. So, you see, this has never came from him. It was never Al Gore screaming, we're all going to die. The polar ice caps are going to be gone by 2012. All the rest of that didn't come from, it was the journalists. It was just the journalists because they're trying to sell news. They needed a hook for the story, so they went overboard and became alarmist. It was never Al Gore. It was never Michael Mann, except that it was. It was. It was the UN, IPCC. It was the WEF, all these people. Um, so <clears throat> the... Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> and, and so he, he makes the analogy, of course, as they always do. You know, I am Mr. Science, and I'm being persecuted. Nobody believes me, just like they didn't believe Galileo. He says, to use your Galileo analogy, I would argue that the elegance of the analogy is that Galileo created a telescope, and the church literally refused to look through his telescope. Well, Michael Mann created reports and policies and he refused to let us look through his telescope at what he saw. <laughs> That's not the analogy. The analogy would be that uh, he says, okay, um, you say that we have a, um, a geocentric universe. I say that it is a heliocentric universe. Um, okay, can we see your telescope? No, you can't see my telescope. Stay away. <laughs> That's what Michael Mann did. He, he's the anti-Galileo. These deniers, again, they cast it in religious terms because it is a religion to them. These deniers would be cast in the role of the Catholic Church at that time because they had a figurative telescope and they were refusing to look at it. Now, the religion that we're talking about here is scientism. It's what Michael Mann, Al Gore have been selling us with a climate MacGuffin and what Fauci sold us with a COVID MacGuffin. It's about the data. It's about, uh, and if people don't want to let you look through their telescope, uh, they got something to hide. He says, um, again, uh, Michael Mann goes on to say, and yet one of our two major parties now will a priori reject whatever it is I have to say or show in this book. Well, yes, I'm one of those people. I absolutely will reject anything that Michael Mann has to say or to show in the book because he is a confirmed liar. Afraid for you to look through his telescope. Liar, liar, planet is not on fire. He says, I, I feel like there's a cynicism, said the interviewer. You use the word venal because there's a very detached, almost nihilistic perspective that I feel has entered our culture. These people talk about nihilism. This whole climate change movement was born out of a depopulation movement that despised humanity. You want to talk about nihilism? Uh, that's the epitome of it. He says, you're arguing that maybe the earth is heating, but even if it is, I don't want to look at whether it's caused by people and prefer to just let it happen so that I don't have to deal with it. That's beyond being stubborn. Nihilism here seems to be at play. And uh, Michael Mann says, yes, I think it is nihilism. I think it is bad faith. I think it is tribalistic. It is a refusal to even look at what the evidence is. The amazing lies. No, you refuse to let anybody look at your evidence, and you have no credibility to talk about anything. By the way, uh, you have um, CNBC. 
saying climate change could impose substantial financial costs on U.S. household finances, says the Department of Treasury. I saw this on the Drudge Report, and I thought, wow, they're finally admitting it? They're finally admitting that this climate thing is designed to enslave and bankrupt us and to turn us back into the dark ages where we have no energy, no food, no modern appliances, no mobility through cars. They're finally admitting that it's going to be substantial financial costs, quote unquote, says the U.S. Treasury. Well, no, that's not what they're saying. It is what they're saying, but in a different way. They're saying that it's going to impose a tremendous cost on us because every bad piece of weather is now being blamed uh, on climate change. This is our lying Department of the Treasury. You see, as the Department of Treasury is bankrupting us through the Biden administration with taxes and artificially inflating the cost of energy, making things scarce that don't need to be made scarce, raising our taxes, creating an army of uh, new IRS agents to harass our people and to eat out their substance. And the GOP is fine with that. They don't want to spend $80 billion more, but they'll spend $60 billion more. Uh, they'll give a $60 billion increase to an agency that is currently at $13 billion in order to harass our people and eat out their substance. That's okay with the GOP. That's their compromise on this, quote unquote. And uh, so that's what these people are up to. And the Treasury Department bankrupting us with its economic policies and the rest of the climate change is expected to impose substantial financial costs, says the Department of the Treasury, between 2018 and 2022. Weather and climate disasters cost more than $617 billion. Within the last year, 13% of Americans reported economic hardships due to severe weather events and disasters. This is what they're selling. It doesn't have to do with Biden administration's economic policies. It doesn't have to do with the Treasury Department's economic policies to corrupt us, to raise interest rates, and to uh, raise the cost of houses and cars far beyond inflation with their regulations. It doesn't have to do with them banning cars and banning appliances and banning air conditioning and all the rest of this stuff. Uh, no, those financial costs are nothing. The financial cost is weather damage, severe flooding. Wildfires, basic wildfires, a, uh, regardless of how they start, the wildfire damage that we're seeing is due to uh, environmental policies, mismanagement. Extreme heat, all these are imposing significant financial burdens on households across the country, uh, said the Treasury Department in a statement. Yeah, you see, um, when you look at um, $1.4 trillion, for this green grift agenda that Jamal Bowman wants. Uh, that's not something that hurts us. No, it's the weather. Climate disasters impacted one out of 10 houses in the U.S. in 2021, they said, because of weather. And of course, you know, if we go back and look at um, going back in the 1990s, is openly being talked about on mainstream media. Oh, this is really cool. You had Michio Kaka going on and saying, you know, we can affect weather using lasers. Uh, we can do cloud seeding using lasers. Uh, China's doing it. China announced that they, you know, fixed the weather for their Olympics and all the rest of the stuff. It was, you know, decade, two decades ago. It was, oh, this is going to be great. 
It's going to be a feature, not a bug. And now they say any changes in weather are man-made. Well, maybe they are. Uh, but they're certainly not due to CO2. And they're not due to your vehicle or your air conditioning or your heating or your appliances or anything else like that. They go on to say, this is CNBC talking and the Treasury Department. They point out that Hurricane Katrina damaged about 70% of all Louisiana properties. So there you go. That's the cost of climate change, they say. Total nonsense. I was glad to see DeSantis taking all of this on uh, when people said that about the latest hurricane in Florida. So hurricanes are not climate change. You know, hurricanes are indigenous to Florida and into Louisiana. It's not a change. It's natural. It's always happened. Nearly a fifth of those properties remain unrepaired five years later, and 8% were uninhabitable. Well, the reason for that, you know, the Treasury Department's stat on that about uh, Katrina, is because they have impoverished people, and they have overregulated these industries, making it difficult for people to rebuild. In the same way that you have FEMA coming into an area where there's been a hurricane, people can't get back to protect their property or try to repair it or protect it from further damage. Well, they have essentially done that on a much broader scale with their economic policies and their over-the-top regulation. When you talk about the car side of this, this is uh, from listener Sam. Thank you uh, for sending this to me. This EV maker is reportedly losing $33,000 on every truck it sells. This is an article from The Street. Of course, the Wall Street Journal picked up the same story about Rivian, saying it's losing billions of dollars. But I like the, the take that um, The Street had on it. $33,000 on every truck it sells. Um, the company sells its vehicles for about $80,000 each, but it's losing $33,000 on each vehicle sold due to high production costs. So it's, um, <laughs> it, the vehicles cost them $113,000 to make, I guess, and they sell it for $80,000. Uh, it's kind of like the old joke, you know, where the guy says, uh, Kenneth comes into the CEO and he says, um, we're losing money on everything we sell, every, every widget we sell. And he says, we'll make it up on volume. <laughs> That's what these people are doing. They're going to try to make it up on volume. They're going to do even more of these things. This is the, you know, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead approach that we always see from the EV people, from the climate change people. They've got a profit margin of minus 41%. <laughs> <laughs> uh truly amazing but you know the, nothing is going to slow this juggernaut down uh, except the truth and a general awakening of people meanwhile biden's approach to this as rivian is losing thirty-three thousand dollars on each vehicle that it sells biden says well you know we just have to make moves to push the ev industry in disadvantaged communities so we got to put more charging stations in disadvantaged communities. Those people still can't afford your $80,000 car, even though you're selling it at a 41% loss of profit, okay? negative 41% profit margin. Uh, you know, these things are so out of touch with reality that nobody can afford these things. And certainly to go into the poor areas and say, you know, the problem in these poor areas is they just don't have enough charging stations. Well, newsflash, <clears throat> um, if you were going to do anything to help the EV industry, 
you put the charging stations in the very, very wealthy places where people can afford to spend $80,000 for a car that costs uh, 113000 <laughs> But they're not going to do that. Uh, to ensure that disadvantaged communities are able to benefit from Biden's new demands for and spending on electric vehicles, the administration is committing $100 million to repair and to replace EV charging stations across the country. I doubt there's, uh, yeah, they got a picture of this um, on this article from uh, WND showing the inner city walls covered with graffiti and everything. I'm sure that there's a lot of electric vehicles around there and already a lot of, um, if there are any EV stations, they probably need to be repaired now because they've probably been vandalized. But of course, these people, uh, it's not just Rivian selling their stuff for $80,000. You know, the, the cost of new cars has skyrocketed across the board. And the EVs are typically ten dollars to $20,000 more than their uh, engine equivalents. Subsidizing the electric vehicle industry with $15.5 billion. And, of course, the bill will be sent to us. Uh, and that is in addition to this new thing for $100 million. Uh, because the spending in Washington never stops. And instead, what we have is we've got a fight between personal fight between Gates and McCarthy, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just the theatrics are just ridiculous. Green, green with irony, the EV battery plant in Kansas uses up so much energy that a coal plant is required to power it. This is essentially a big version of what we have seen done before. I forget, uh, there was one time, you know, when, when Elon Musk wanted to defend his pride um, as soon as Porsche came out with a high-performance electric vehicle. Uh, he sent his uh, Tesla Plaid, which is a high-performance uh, EV, to the Nürburgring <clears throat> and uh, wanted to show these Germans how it's done. And uh, there wasn't a charging station there for his vehicle. So he also sent a diesel generator which the people in Germany, because they're all caught up with this stuff, they were complaining about the noise and about the dirty smoke because they're very dirty. And of course, uh, one, a couple of times ago when I was talking to Eric Peters, he did it again with um, power charging stations. Well, here it is being done for an entire electric vehicle battery plant. And this is in Kansas. I thought it was interesting because it's in DeSoto, Kansas. Remember that, Travis? Remember how we used to listen to old-time radio and they had uh, the DeSoto stuff that were sponsors of um uh, uh you bet your life right you bet your life yeah thank you and um and i remember george finneman <laughs> pushing the desoto fireball eight well <laughs> they got a fireball eight going now they got a, a massive coal plant that they got to fire up and uh, they're behind the eight ball there in uh, DeSoto, Kansas, because they're going to have that whole coal plant just to run a battery factory. This is the lunacy of this whole thing. Uh, Panasonic got, and, and this is just subsidy on top of subsidy, lie on top of lie. Panasonic got $4 billion out of this Inflation Reduction Act, uh, this green thing. And uh, so uh, they got that $4 billion to build a plant there. Got it a year ago. The plant reportedly is going to develop batteries for Tesla's 2170 cylindrical lithium-ion batteries, which power the company's Model 3 and Model Y vehicles. 
which is kind of interesting. Um, Tesla's going to be subbing this out to Panasonic, uh, and it's all going to be paid for by the Biden administration. And they all get rich. Tesla gets rich. Panasonic gets rich. And the power comes from a coal plant. Uh, the utility will continue to burn coal at a power plant near Lawrence, Kansas, and it will delay plants plans to transition units at the plant to natural gas because this is an emergency. We got to have uh, this these batteries. We've we've given them four billion dollars to build the batteries, and we can't be embarrassed by this. So you know, just do what it takes. Fire up that coal plant. Nobody will see it operating. You know, uh, they're pretty clean anyway. Um, so um, 15 pound, they point out in this article, and this is a good way to look at this. You know, we look at the inefficiency of things. I've talked many times about how um, had an engineering professor who was, uh, he'd ride a bike to school and all this kind of stuff. And he would lecture us on, on uh, you know, he's kind of an environmentalist. And <clears throat> he'd say, we got to get over this idea that we wrap ourselves in 2,000 pounds of steel. It's like, well, find a car out there that, you know, other than a Miata, that's 2,000 pounds now. Of course, my little uh, Triumph Spitfire that I had at that point in time was well under 2,000 pounds. Got it stuck at the beach once, and uh, a couple of guys came over and helped me. We lifted the car up, <laughs> put it on, uh, got stuck on a submerged rock and high-centered on that thing, and I was going through the sand. And um, so Karen and I get out, and we just lift up the, this, actually just one other guy and I lifted up the back end. We didn't have to lift up where the motor was and just set it over somewhere else. The thing was so light. Anyway, um, I thought, well, he's not talking about me. I <laughs> never had a guilty conscience about driving a car under any circumstances, no matter the size. But he said, we've got to get over this idea of wrapping ourselves in 2,000 pounds of steel to go around. It's just ridiculous from an energy perspective and an efficiency perspective. Well, what would he say today? You know, when cars, because of regulations and other things like that, added, uh, you know, safety devices that have gotten so expensive and so heavy to start with. And then the EVs are even heavier than the engine versions. And so you've got 6,000 pounds now. And this person looks at it from this standpoint. Uh, this is actually from Wine Press News. I liked what they put here. A 15-pound lithium-ion battery holds about the same amount of energy as a pound of oil. To make that battery requires 7,000 pounds of rock and dirt to get the minerals that go into that battery. The average EV battery weighs about 1,000 pounds. There you go. There's your efficiency right there. Now, what is not in that is the fact that, uh, and of course, you got to get all that from China. They pretty much got a lock on most of these things. All that mining and factory processing produces a lot more carbon dioxide emissions than a gas-powered car. And of course, you have to mine and process it, and you have to transport it across the world. But they don't want you to have a car anyway. I mean, it's the bottom line. So EVs have to be driven about fifty to 60,000 miles before there's a net reduction in carbon dioxide emissions. And um, that's not even counting how dirty the power plants are that they allow in China, which is doing most of this processing. In China and in India, they're not subject to the restrictions from the Paris Climate Accord. And years ago, and it's still true, because they haven't had any requirements that they make their plants cleaner. No scrubbers, nothing. They can build as many of them as they want. They don't have to have them clean. And it was years ago that if you had a gasoline engine car that got in the mid-30s miles per gallon, it was going to be cleaner 
than if you had an electric car that was running off of one of their dirty power plants. That's just the way that it is in India. That's the way it is in China as well. Representative Cyrus Western uh, from uh, Bighorn in Wyoming uh, said, kilowatts don't just fall out of the sky. That electricity has got to come from somewhere. It's not going to come from solar farms or from wind turbines. This administration wants to put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Well, bottom line is they don't want us to have energy. That's what people need to understand. They don't want us to have food. They don't want us to have energy. They don't want us to have mobility. They don't want us to have liberty. This is a full-on war. You have to understand just how visceral the hatred of our country is from the people who lead it. And that's not true just of America. It's true of Canada, of Europe, of Australia, New Zealand, all of these Western nations, they viscerally hate us. They seek to destroy us and our way of life and our countries. They're quislings of the World Economic Forum. They're traitors. Never forget that. Never forget. That includes Trump. We'll be right back. Well, I wanted to give you the update from uh, Guard Goldsmith, very important, and I'm sure that he's uh, talked about this and will be talking about it. Uh, He sent this to me um, uh, last night at about 11 p.m. He said um, uh, the judge, he went to the trial of uh, Ian Freeman. He said, uh, and Ian Freeman is uh, somebody who had um, a radio program, and uh, he also got involved in um, crypto at a very early point. And Gard and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, th- there is a lot that is happening here. And I think uh, it, it's an, to put this in context of everything that is happening, it is necessary for them to demonize crypto because crypto is the uh, uh, a challenge to their CBDC. Um, and uh, it's the most direct challenge. Uh, so they're focusing on crypto right now and not so much on gold and silver. Uh, and, uh, so, um, by the way, uh, if you want to, as you see this, if you see this net closing in around us, and I mean that as, as far as the internet as well, if you see this closing in around us, uh, you might want to go for the best form of cash that you can find. And that is gold and silver, Tony Arterman at, uh, davidknight.gold. That'll take you to wisewolf.gold. You can buy gold and silver at any quantity, and um, he's even got a a program set up to uh, connect you with community that's there, the Wise Wolf uh, program. They have a wolf pack, so you can get connected to other people there, other people who are looking at, uh, who understand that gold and silver are real money, that they're private, 
that they're outside of the system. And uh, so you can talk to them about uh, how they view things and also talk to Tony. That's one of the things that it's very important that he offers. It's kind of interesting to see all of these mainstream media articles talking about how Costco sold out of gold. And, uh, you know, Tony can um, make sure that doesn't happen. You want to get somewhere where somebody really understands the market, where they can place an order and get that fulfilled and where they can actually give you an honest opinion, you know, for your own uh, safety. But it, it is not, in my opinion, so much about an investment as a hedge against inflation. Yes, it's a good hedge against inflation, but who knows how they're going to manipulate that. To me, though, it is um, a certainty that they're going to try to destroy any way of us uh, living our lives outside of their complete financial control. And this is just one example of it. So at the hearing that was on Monday, <clears throat> Guard says the judge sentenced Dan to eight years in prison. Eight years in prison with two years of probation plus $40,000 in fines and for restitution in addition to that to be determined later. The problem for Ian was that he didn't look deeply enough into people who wanted to transfer into Bitcoin. And so they claimed that he thus engaged in money laundering. This is always the claim that they're making about crypto. Money laundering and it's bad for the environment. These are their key things. But the money laundering thing, as he points out, you know, the connection going back to Ross Ulbrich, uh, they're not worried about money laundering. They're worried about competition to their fiat currency. He says, even though he was ignorant of any activities of his customers, they're going to make an example out of him because they want everybody to be snitches. It is the United States of Stasi uh, uh, Treasury Department here. The penalty came 10 years and a day. After the guilty verdict of Ross Ulbrich, Ian originally was supposed to be sentenced on 9-11, but his attorney was able to get an extension to today. He says, I have the federal PR statement on it, but it doesn't offer much more than their slant, and it omits the keys that Ian was ignorant of what people might be doing with their Bitcoin. He said, one of the things that struck me when I arrived was the manner in which the guards and the bailiffs acted. Not only were they very antagonistic to the large crowd who visited to lend in support, they posted an officer outside the door to the court. And he was telling people the main court was full and new arrivals should go to the spillover room and watch the video feed. Something about his demeanor and the situation told me that he was lying. I went into the main room and he was lying. It wasn't full at all. In fact, a well-known New Hampshire news reporter came in shortly after I sat down and she was allowed to go in but another friend of Ian's who followed her was told there was no room, even though he could see all the spaces on the benches. It was Kafka-esque. And I think they were doing what they did in order to make the room appear to be half empty, to demoralize Ian as he was brought in from another room. They wanted him to think that many of his friends were not there. He said it was just despicable. I could be wrong, but it seemed to be what others were thinking as I left. Ian stood tall, he will appeal, and they ushered him into custody tonight. He will spend the first of many behind bars for trying to avoid using the Federal Reserve note. The legal and tax hurdles that they have created ward me away from the lot of crypto holdings, and I think they want to make an example out of Ian. So, um... He says, uh, we'll see what happens, but don't expect a great deal to change for Ian. He's truly a good guy. By the way, 
Um, uh, well, anyway, we'll talk about some of the other stuff here. That's, um, um, some personal things about, uh, getting together. And I do want to get guard on, talk about this more in detail. Uh, Liberty conspiracies where you'll find him on, um, rumble. I think is it Rockfin? I'm not sure but the, the schedule on it. Uh, again, I refer people to nights of the storm where they have the schedule for everybody's uh, programs. Uh, a lot of people that are honest reporters. And of course, guard is top notch. You'll find him uh, at Liberty Conspiracy, and you find the times for that. Uh, it's a Monday through Friday program. Uh, but let's talk about how they're trying to shut down the press. This headline, Western Nation, to create a registry of podcasters and potential censorship initiative. Guess which Western nation that would be? Well, oh, Canada. Yeah, that's who. Guess who? The Online Streaming Act, formerly known as Bill C-11, goes into effect on November the 28th, meaning that any online streaming service that operates in Canada and generates revenue of more than $10 million in a given year will have to register with the Canadian Radio and Telecommunic Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC. <clears throat> so this is the way they're going to do it. You see, podcasts have been, um, up to this point, the least censored of any of the uh, ways to communicate information. They're feverishly working on ways that they can stop that. Now, Spotify has got their own proprietary thing, uh, but of course, artificial intelligence is being used as uh, for the new Stasi surveillance state to monitor and to identify us, to data mine us, to match up our biometric information that they've got. They just don't have enough people or enough, you know, sophisticated enough programs, but now artificial intelligence will help them for that. And it'll also help them to monitor the content of what people are putting out there. I've noticed that the transcription service that I'm using has been getting better and better, which is both good news and bad news. Because as it gets better and better, uh, it will be used to censor people. And that's what this is about. And of course, they'll run it through the big guys first. Anybody that has uh, any podcast streaming system, this is the way it works. You know, you upload mine to a, a streaming uh, service and then they push it out to all these other places. And so all those other places, as well as the place where it's being hosted, will be, um, they're, they're big enough to fall into that, I'm sure. $10 million is not big for a corporation nowadays. And so they'll have to report all this stuff and um, put it under the aegis of uh, these censors in Canada. So then they can threaten them if they don't shut down the people that they want. That's the way they'll run it through. Uh, they're saying to individual podcasters, don't worry, you don't have to register individually. Because all these people, as soon as they saw this, you had people getting on social media saying, over my dead body, I'll never register with the Canadian government. Well, of course, none of us would, right? But um, that's not the way it's going to happen. You see, Spotify kicked me off in May of 2021 after I started my program just, you know, five months earlier. And the way it's going to operate is through those, you know, de the deputized state. And so now they are deputizing these people right now. And uh, they're going to be the ones who are going to do the censorship or they will pay the fines. And uh, this has become a standard procedure for all of this stuff. 
Uh, no surprise there. The surprise is that nobody is doing anything to stop any of it uh, in government, of course, and that the public is not demanding that it be stopped. But, of course, this goes back to 2018. Trump did nothing. You had the biggest conservative and libertarian think tanks, the Heritage Foundation, Cato Institute. They said, ah, corporations can censor people. They can do whatever they want. You know, they're, they're people, too. And they're bigger people than you. They're more important people than you. Well, they're not people. They're creatures of the state. They don't have any God-given rights. Corporations don't because they're not created by God. They're created by the state. They're created with a privilege license and the rest of the stuff. They're a fictional entity. We, on the other hand, are real. And we are created by God. And we are endowed with, with uh, inalienable rights. And they use these fictional entities that have perpetual life here on this earth. They don't have eternal life. <laughs> uh, they do on this earth. And they use these fictional entities, these perpetual entities, to oppress people, real people, with God-given liberties. And so the biggest of all these podcast things has been Spotify, and they've been uh, doing this type of thing to me for a long time. And I've been understanding that this is going to be rolling out to uh, other people for the longest time. But now it is actually happening. The Canadian government is pitching the new rule as a framework that they can then adapt to changing circumstances. They're going to collect basic information from them, they said, and uh, then once we do, once we get that framework, you know, so everybody understands that they're working for us, these corporations, and uh, we set up a framework where you can analyze and report these people to us, and then we'll tell you who to shut down. That's the way this whole thing is going to operate. Uh, their official statement from the CRTC, bragging about this, they said, uh, CRTC takes major step forward to modernize Canada's broadcasting framework. You see, that's the way they present it. They're deputizing podca podcast platforms, and they're ready to blackmail them to become their censors. The uh, CRTC, says the CRTC, is setting conditions for online streaming services to operate. Right? No freedom. It's conditional. The conditions will take effect today and uh, as of September the 29th, uh, which was Friday, um, and require certain online streaming services to provide the CRTC with information related to their content and their subscribership. People are like, ooh, ooh. You know, talk about subscribers, they say, no, no, no. But this requires those services to make content available in a way that is not tied to a specific mobile or internet service. Not yet, anyway, you see. So right now, you know, just rest assured, see, they're, they're not bad guys. They don't want to come after the listeners. They just want to come after the source. But of course, they will come after the listeners, just as these Tyrants in Canada, Christia Freeland and others, <clears throat> came after the people there with the trucker convoy, locking up their personal bank accounts if they contributed, right? That's what this is really about. Yeah, Christia Freeland, all of her connections to the World Economic Forum. And I just saw an article uh, that, that broke some news about her contacting Hillary Clinton and freaking out about Roe v. Wade. You see, because all the, it's just a constellation of these people, just like you know the the person 
replacing Feinstein. You know, you can always count on the fact that they want to murder babies. They want to mutilate children. They want to censor speech. Uh, they want to punish people. They want to steal money. But they, you know, massive you know, targeting of the population to be eliminated. It's always the same stuff from these people. It's just a constellation of their core beliefs. It's the kind of people they are. They said also consultation is ongoing, said the CRTC. It considers contributions traditional broadcasters and online streaming services will need to make in order to support Canadian and indigenous content. Well, there you go. There's always blackmail and bribery. So <clears throat> now they go out there and say, well, don't worry. You know, we're not coming after the, the users, right? Uh, we just want to know a little bit about you for our files, Mrs. Robinson. And uh, we want to be able to have these people, when we tell them that this uh, podcast over here is dangerous, you just shut that down. And, uh, but don't worry, we're not going to come after the end users. We're just going to come after the actual information itself. And then, um, we want you to understand that, um, there's money in this for those broadcasters who play along the traditional broadcasters. Um, uh, we, you know, we need to help them if they're Canadian, if they're indigenous, we need to get them some money. And so there'll be some additional penalty fees to podcasting, which will also put a kink in it as well. So the, you know, bribery of the public and bribery of the media, and don't worry, we're not coming after you. It's the other person. We're not going to raise your taxes. It's going to be the taxes of the super rich people that we're going to raise. And you're not super rich, so you don't have nothing to worry about. And we're going to use that money to give you new services. You see what they're doing? Same thing we always hear whenever they increase taxes. Same thing we always hear whenever they add a tax. And of course, that tax eventually is applied to everybody. It's not for the elites. The elites then are the ones who escape that tax. Uh, but what does it look like here in the United States? Well, here in the United States, of course, we understand that all of this is coming from the military industrial complex and the intelligence community. The Department of Defense has signed a contract with social media monitoring company. Uh, the social media monitoring company it's called Data Miner. <laughs> I am the underminer. <laughs> no one, nothing is beneath me. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, this company, Data Miner, uh, got a $2.5 million contractual agreement with the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA. See, I didn't even, that's the first time I've seen DISA. <laughs> Disinformation, DISA. Uh, it's at Fort Meade, which is where they have the you know, headquarters for their SIGINT stuff, the Signals Intelligence Organization, uh, NSA and other people like that. So, you know, they're working with this uh, company to do data mining. It's in their name. And uh, so your government, just understand, this is coming from Reclaim the Net. Your government is spending millions of dollars to spy on you, and now they're doing it openly. They've always been doing it. The internet was set up to spy on you. The internet was set up to control narratives. The internet was set up to be able to give them instant feedback as to how their lies are being accepted by or rejected by the public. That was the purpose of the internet. Purpose of the internet was to create individual profiles on people, the life log and all the rest of this stuff. And that's what Facebook is about. You know, they shut down 
the um, information, total information awareness. They shut that down. The next day, Facebook opened up. See, it's, it's not us. It's a corporation that's doing it. So it's okay. Yeah, of course, Facebook has military contracts and gets money from the government and um, was created by venture capital firms that were loaded with filthy people from the intelligence community and CIA and other places like that. Loaded up these venture capital firms with these people, these enemies of America who are set up to spy on, to control, and to go to war with Americans. But hey, it's a private company and they can do whatever they want. And they're better than you. They're going to live longer than you. And they will do what we tell them to do, unlike you. And so data miners are going to get millions of dollars for this. Um, as um, Reclaim the Net says, this is unsettling. And it's reinforcement of sweeping surveillance and potentially having implications on free speech and privacy protection. You see, everything that you're doing is being watched. Are you tired of that? I am. I mean, I, I don't let that intimidate me, and you shouldn't let it intimidate you either. But I'm sick of this stuff. I'm sick of these people, and I'm not going to call them anything other than reprehensible spies, spies on America, backstabbing, constitution-destroying spies who want to destroy the very foundation of our civilization, which is free speech, debate, and the rest of these things. These people are authoritarian, totalitarian, technocrats. We have a standing army and have had a standing army in this country since World War II. They never stood down, unlike any of the other previous wars. And now they have openly turned to war against us. Surveillance of its own citizens and the control is being, you know, surveillance. The purpose of the surveillance is to control and punish us. Just remember, think about this. When you look at the public response to this, how incomprehensible it is. I, I look at all this stuff and I'm just, I can't believe people are putting up with this. Just like I can't believe they put the masks on. I can't believe they shut the churches down. I can't believe they took the injections. I can't believe any of this stuff, but it's happening. The vast majority of people out there. And of course, the vast majority of people never do anything. It's going to be a tireless minority. who's going to stand up and fight for liberty and freedom. And we got to make sure that that tireless minority has God on our side, or better yet, not that he's on our side, that we're on his side, you see. You're not going to get anything accomplished in this life unless you first turn to God and seek God. And you make that your first priority. He's promised that he will give you protection. We've seen it over and over again. We see that theme throughout the Bible. We've seen that theme throughout history. A small minority of people who are focused on doing the right thing, focused on God and obeying him, whatever the consequences, and there are frequently consequences in this life for doing that. Uh, but those people are the only ones who change this world. And it's not those people who change the world. It's God who changes the world for them. We don't want to put the political cart before the horse that's drawing it, uh, drawing everything. And that's God. God is the one who's pulling us through this. And we want him out front. And we need to be following him instead of t putting him in back and telling him to follow us. 
But do you remember how governments react when they find out they're being surveilled? If it's a friendly government, you know, we see all this stuff. It's like, look at this. Israel is spying on us. Or go around the other way. The Israelis say, look at this. The CIA is spying on us. <laughs> or Germany. The CIA is spying on us. You know, a lot of people saw that with the Snowden leaks. These people that are supposed to be our allies. Well, we're spying on them. And then we find out that they're spying on us as well. But it's always, it's not expected, and everybody is, at least, pretends to be outraged about it when it happens, and they should be, because we understand it's a betrayal. Why is it that Americans who have been told that their government is their ally, the government is your friend, government is your protector, government's going to fix everything. I know if you just get the right government in there, you know, uh, Republicans didn't believe that for the longest time. They believed that government wasn't the solution. It was the problem. But now we believe that if we get the right guy in, in other words, Trump, he's the right guy. He's going to fix everything for us. If we can get him in, then we want him to fix everything. We want to give him so much power that he can do whatever he wants. Uh, be careful about that. He's already wielded that power to create some of the most damaging executive orders that this country has ever seen. Uh, but, you know, when you look at this, you expect this type of thing from your stated enemies, right? So there's no outrage when uh, Russia spies on America or America spies on Russia or China or whatever. You know, you expect that. But if it's something, oh, those are our NATO allies. We're spying on them or whatever. There's a real sense of outrage, except there is no sense of outrage with the American public, when our government spies on us, when our government goes to war against us. Um, Rockfin, Dugalug, thank you very much. I appreciate the tip. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And I, and I want to thank everybody. Last week, I did not have the full update. And, um, you know, we, uh, I was out of commission for a couple of days. But anyway, yesterday, we, we got the gas gauge moved up. And thank you, everyone. Uh, we got to uh, seven eights. Uh, thank you very much for all of the help, especially in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and, um, you know, when I look at this about people pulling ads from rumble, for example, over Russell brand, the fact that they're not cutting his money off and they're pulling the ads out of there, you understand, in my opinion, ad supported media is never going to be an option to fight this kind of politicized, Stalinesque, authoritarian America with a K. You're never going to get there with uh, ad-supported media. Now, this is uh, from Reclaim the Net, and they're talking about Russell Brand, and they're talking about numerous companies that are now boycotting Rumble out of the UK. Uh, of course, Burger King uh, is an American company, but they're doing it there. Uh, the Barbican is um, in the UK. A meal delivery service in the UK called HelloFresh. They've all withdrawn their ads from Rumble. And it's being pushed in the UK by an intelligence community front group, most likely. Uh, they call themselves the News Movement. Uh, but it is probably coming from the intelligence services pushing that. Uh, they say that they want to, quote, help people fight misinformation. But they're actually organizing boycotts of advertisers saying don't advertise on Rumble because they've got Russell Brand there. 
Uh, as um, Reclaim the Net points out, YouTube has also embraced a decision to strip Brand of his income, halting his ability to make money from their platform. But you see, Russell Brand is still on YouTube. And what do you read into that? Seriously, what do you think? Why is it that Russell Brand has been able to make millions of dollars off of YouTube for years and years and years? You know, all the way through <clears throat> the censorship that was rampant of people who challenged government narratives going back to 2018 and even before that, the shadow banning of people, but then the overt public banning of people that began in August of 2018 with InfoWars and then followed up with another 800 sites there in October of 2018. Why is it that people like Russell Brand and Joe Rogan are able to not only continue unabated, but have their stuff promoted and monetized? Why is that, do you think? Da, 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 da. Well, I think that he's still on YouTube because they want him they want these guys as the face of the climate deniers, as the face of the people who challenge the vaccines. They want them as the face of people who challenge censorship. So people will say, these people are a bunch of lunatic crazies. Seriously. I mean, do you really take Russell Brand and Joe Rogan as serious spokespersons, or do they come with the same kind of baggage as Sam Britton does? Yeah, they're not wearing ladies' dresses, but they've got just as much baggage as Sam Britton does. Russell Brand is known as this vile comedian, just like Howard Stern in America. Yeah, I don't know why the leftists are leaving Howard Stern alone. If he's out there saying, hey, I'm with these guys, I'm with the woke people and all this kind of stuff, you might think, well, uh, we should shut this guy down. He's with us. Uh, no, they, as long as he is uh, pushing distraction, you know, they like the fact that Russell Brand and Joe Rogan and Howard Stern are pushing um, things that are going to uh, deactivate you, if you will, in your lifetime. Put you in this kind of uh, self-isolation that Yuval Harari has said he wants people in. It's already started. It'll only get worse with more sophisticated video games and virtual reality and a lot of other things like that, it'll only get worse. But uh, this type of thing takes you out of the real world, means that you're not a problem to them. So they promote psychedelic mushrooms. They promote, uh, um, you know, sex uh, without any consequences, they think, and all the rest of this stuff. Uh, they mock religion. They do the rest of it. That's what these guys are there for. And so... It actually does help the government, and they would like to have somebody like Russell Means continue on YouTube. They're not going to pay him anymore for this stuff. They've got to pull it back a little bit and say, it's gonna, we're going to look like we're accepting what he's always done. He's always talked about raping women. He's bragged about raping women. He's joked about raping women. But, of course, he hasn't raped any women until he's found guilty of it, right? But let's uh, just uh, pull back and not finance him anymore because that would look too bad. But let's leave him on. Because now that, you know, he, he was always useful to us as a degenerate. But now he's useful to us as a, um, a stigma that we're going to put on the anti-vaxxers, on the climate deniers, and all these other people. Now we can use him for that purpose. So let's leave him on YouTube. I think that's what's going on. Uh, I think we can do better. 
than to have somebody like that be a spokesperson against the big pharmaceutical dictatorship, against big tech censorship and the rest of this stuff. But I think that's why he's been there for so long, and I think that's why they still keep him there, even though they have uh, trimmed his profits. But I just say, I, I think that um, certainly the financial strings on this, uh, there's going to be a situation where uh, the only uh, way that you're going to have any channels of information uh, is going to be the information that you're willing to pay for. That's where it's coming from. And that's one of the reasons why I've not pursued uh, a lot of advertisers, a lot of, uh, you know, th that type of thing is going to disappear. Um, I just don't have the time to do the show and to do merchandise as well and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's, um, uh, and, and things that, um, I feel good about selling. And so it really is up to donors to support this and it's going to be up to donors to support. And I've had a lot of people send me information and I have not talked yet to Adam Curry about it, but I'm going to follow up with him again with a value for value thing. Uh, at the time that I talked to him, I'm certain that it was cause I talked to Mark about it, who got us together. I talked to him personally about it. Uh, that it was uh, set up as, you know, it was behind a paywall. And, um, but I, that everybody has said, that's not the case now. So, um, voluntary. And if people want to pay for what they can get information that is not, uh, being uh, controlled by the government and as, uh, my opinion, whether you agree with it or not, I've got a lot of people who disagree with me. Why is time still getting hate stuff about this thing on Wednesday? I'm going to have an interesting show on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> after none of this stuff happens. Uh, I told one guy, I said, uh, you're a controlled opposition. He told me, I said, well, um, please uh, tune in on Thursday. I will address this the day after the doomsday zombie apocalypse uh, does not happen. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you uh, why I knew it did not happen. Uh, but again, um, if you want people who are not controlled and um, you know, you're not going to be able to get Free information, any, let's just understand this. You know, it's been said that uh, <laughs> if uh, you are getting a service on the internet for free, you are the product, right? They're getting information about you. They're selling it to corporations or they're selling it to governments, but you are the product. If you're getting your information for free, uh, then basically, um, you, you're going to be, um, uh, you know, they are the ones who the information is the product that they're pushing to you. The information is the product of the government. Uh, you're not the product, you're, you're the product in that free system, but you're also getting the government information product is what you're ultimately getting. We'll be right back.
analyzing the globalist next move. And now, the David Knight Show. Uh, let me just uh, read this list. I don't believe I've read this. This is the last uh, last week of September that we got, and I I don't think I've read this list before because I usually take it off of my um, take it off of here. But uh, I want to thank people who have contributed: Jackie and Fred U, Craig B, Martin T, Chip and Tina B, MPS and MJS, uh, Walter and Joe, Lloyd P, Lois L, Jeremy W, Daniel H, Brian R, William m jim h philip m and kelly m thank you very much for your support and i need to um read the people who contributed in um in september uh, through zell that has picked up uh, significantly and i appreciate those people and i've not read that list um since about the first week or so of uh, september so i'm way behind on that but i do want to uh, read people's names out especially on zell because on zell um, I, you know, I can't even, uh, you know, respond in any way really to it. So I want to tell people, thank you. Uh, this was, um, a doctor who left a tip on Subscribestar, and, um, I'm not going to say his name, even his first name. Uh, I don't want to get him any trouble because he's talking about what he's gone through at his hospital when they tried to force the COVID vaccine on him. Uh, but thank you very much, sir. He says, I love your show, David. I've donated before, written to you before. I'm a doctor in a big hospital system. They have many, I've got many interesting stories to tell thus far, uh, including getting a religious exemption for the COVID vax to be the only doctor to my knowledge who prescribed ivermectin before being forced to stop prescribing after a few days by many administrators. I tell any patient that'll listen to stop taking the COVID vax. I've seen countless obvious side effects in the vax. How I haven't been fired is anybody's guess. Well, that's the key thing. It's um, you got a religious exemption if you're telling people the truth because you have a uh, a conscience about it because you understand that you will stand before God one day and answer for what you did. Uh, that's the reason uh, that God keeps you in that place. Uh, that's a very important thing. Um, as I said on Friday, Dr. Paul Offit is now telling people uh, that he's not going to get any of these further vaccine shots. And he is somebody who has opposed this thing from the very, very beginning. And uh, he said, you know, we're rushing ahead with this thing. We're not doing any testing at all. Uh, for years, I had shown clips of um, people in the industry uh, they didn't think it was getting out, but some people videotaped it. And they said, you know, we're not doing enough testing, some of them said. Uh, we've got to do longer-term tests. Meanwhile, you got Fauci at the October 2019 Milken Institute. The guy says, how do we get past this thing where you got to wait several years before we can get this stuff out? Fauci says, well, you do it with disruption. You do it from the inside with disruption, and you do it iteratively. Well, Paul Offit, who has been one of the most vociferous advocates of all vaccines, has um, said, well, you know, uh, we were certainly surprised by this myocarditis and pericarditis stuff. Uh, and we'll see whether or not over time or five years into this, 10 years into this, 15 years into this, whether there's any evidence of residual myocardial disease. Because the reason you got it is you're making immune response to your own heart muscle. And we'll find out about that. But now he's saying, well, um, 
I'm not going to get any more of these. And I would suggest other people not get them either. The problem is that the vaccines have been dangerous for a very long time. I've been anti-vax way before these COVID things. I was anti-vax when Paul Offit was pro-vax. And um, as Steve Kirsch pointed out, former major city police detective revealed 50% of SIDS cases happened within 48 hours post-vaccine. We know this has been going on for a very long time. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And it's, um, we've identified various many things that are in it. You know, we've identified, used to be they would put um, uh, mercury in. They would call it, um, oh, I forget what they called it. Uh, but it was a preservative that they would put in. And uh, they put it into contact lens stuff. And it's one of the things that uh, when I tried soft contact lens. Marisol, right? I, Marisol, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. Um, when I, you know, put it in my eyes, um, they would turn blood red immediately. And so I just stopped wearing contact lenses. And, uh, years later I had an optician tell me, you know, we'll try some contact. Lenses. I can't wear that stuff. Cause the other guy said, oh, it's the uh, preservative that's in there. And you know, you're allergic to that. It's like, oh, okay. And when I said that to, um, the other, uh, the other guy said, I'm allergic to thimerosal. He goes, oh, that's mercury. Yeah. We don't put that in the in the, in the contact lens solution anymore, but they were still putting it in the vaccines at that time <laughs> and injecting it into people's bodies. And so, I don't know, maybe I'm just more sensitive to this stuff, or maybe it just shows up uh, sooner, but it's a real blessing that it showed up, I guess. Or maybe if I, um, maybe it's not a blessing if I'm sensitive to it and I get it in other ways. It's kind of like what we're seeing now with the artificial sweeteners. And they're saying this is, um, it's doing horrible things to, uh, to babies, it's doing horrible things to people's brains and all the rest of this stuff. I had experiences with that as well. I remember um, we had, um, I, I was working and uh, Karen said, oh, I found this zero calorie stuff and it tasted great from Walmart at the time. This is like 30 years ago. And, uh, and I said, oh, it tastes, tastes great. Um, you know, and then I got the splitting headache. And it, it happened a couple of days in a row. And I finally realized, hey, this is happening after I drink the uh, stuff that's loaded up with zero calories. And I looked at, what is it? It's aspartame. And so I've laid off of that stuff. And I said, you know, you, you look at this, all of the debate about vaccines and about aspartame and everything, it, the debate just doesn't cut it when you've got experience with this stuff. And this is what these people are up against. You know, you can talk about all the, the you know, the risk of uh, and the foolishness of taking something that has not been tested for safety or efficacy but after we see the effects of after people have experienced this and know people who've experienced it and after this has gone around uh, that's the end of it for an increasing number of people and that's happening even though they are putting on as much censorship as they can this information is still getting out and they're still but they're still putting things into um uh, into uh, the vaccines as adjuvants, as irritants, things that harm your body, harm your immune system. Squalene is uh, one of the things that they're still putting into the vaccines. And uh, of course, um, this will always be the case. You know, they, when they look at the vaccines, um, the reason they want to tell you that vaccines work and that they're very effective, but the problem is, is that they continually fail. But once they fail, their solution is to add more toxic things to it to irritate your immune system and then to add more doses 
I was surprised years ago when there was an outbreak of measles. And uh, they said, well, look at this. Um, we had four people, four people who have measles in the New York area. And patient zero, and all of them actually were vaccinated. Many of them vaccinated multiple times. And it's like, what? You know, I've never had a measles vaccine. I had measles and um, when I was a kid. And so um, they said, uh, yeah, several of them are multiple times. And I said, so what's the deal? And, you know, they started doing this thing, boosters and so forth, uh, with the measles shots because they weren't working. And uh, that's the way they covered up. They give you more of what's not working. And they put more and more irritating things, things that attack your immune system. They call them adjuvants uh, into these vaccines on a regular basis. So now we have the CDC recommending that everybody get the flu shot and the COVID shots and get them together, even though they have done absolutely no testing with that, because that is the way that this is uh, moving forward now. There will be no testing of uh, anything. That, that, that's really what they've been able to do with uh, disruption from the inside and iteratively what Fauci has been able to accomplish is the end of testing for any of these products. Uh, and um, Brian Shalhavi at Vaccine and Health Impact, uh, Health Impact News, Vaccine uh, Impact News, points out that um, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, his headline is absolutely true. Murderous medical doctors how pediatricians kill babies with multiple vaccines and one office visit. And I'm glad to see that a lot of people are going back and talking about what we've talked about for a very long time. And of course, uh, Brian has been covering this for a very long time. Um, Steve Kirsch was the one who was talking about SIDS and Steve Kirsch is new to being an anti-vaxxer. Uh, he actually believed all this stuff. And um, he actually believed uh, that there was a pandemic and he was working with them. And uh, he started uh, getting a clue when he said, well, why don't we try this? And why don't we try it? Nothing was going to be allowed except for the vaccine. I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. If you've got a real pandemic out there, wouldn't you want to try anything and everything? And then he started doing research and he saw that um, uh, all the damage that was happening to people. And so now he's gone further and further into this. And I see more and more coming from him talking about uh, these older issues uh, about the harm of vaccines in general. Uh, so I'm glad to see that this is uh, done exactly what Rand Paul was concerned was going to happen. You know, Rand Paul was chiding Fauci and saying, you know, you push this untested stuff out on people, they're going to die. Uh, no, he didn't say that. Uh, Rand Paul said, if you push this untested stuff on people, you're going to increase vaccine hesitancy. That was Rand Paul's concern. Protecting big pharmaceutical profits, not the lives of people. And uh, so now this is, this is really happening. A new study shows that COVID vaccines damage all hearts. Uh, and um, <laughs> they have silent changes in heart muscle function as standard radiology tests can detect. But of course, they can also see with the people who have been vaccinated, uh, you look for a particular um, uh, substance that is released whenever you have a heart attack. And they see that same substance, so it's a tryptophan or something like that. Um, again, I can't remember the exact name of it. 
But uh, that's the same thing they do to test to see if you've had a heart attack traditionally. Uh, do you have this release, what your body releases when you have a heart attack? And uh, so the same thing happens to uh, people who've been given this vaccine, this Trump shot. It is like a silent heart attack. And now as they do some autopsies on people who have died, they're finding that the, um, uh, the proteins and the spikes and things like that from the vaccine are found in the hearts of people who have died within a month of the vaccination. Samples from the hearts of three patients, all of whom died within 30 days of a Pfizer shot, um, tested positive for mRNA. Eight bilateral auxiliary lymph node samples from people who died within 30 days of a Moderna or Pfizer vaccine also tested positive. But see, by the VAERS definition, by the CDC's definition, these people were not vaccinated. Uh, they died within 30 days. And so they would be reported as excessive uh, deaths of unvaccinated people, probably attributed to the uh, pandemic. Because by their definition, you're not vaccinated until you had both shots. And I think it was two weeks after you had your second shot that you were officially vaccinated. It's one of the ways that they have been able to lie with the statistics. And we've known this from the very beginning, that they were doing that. And talked about how they were lying with the statistics, how they were setting up everything to uh, surveil people who had refused to have it. The only thing they were concerned about was the lot number, because now we see how much the lot numbers were varying, because that was... The testing. Yeah, a lot of people were lab rats, and a lot of lab rats died with this. A new study shows significant uh, pet and cat scans and the myocardium and lymph nodes of mRNA vaccinated people at six months. And so it doesn't stay in the arm. It persists. It goes to vital organs. Uh, they can see that in the autopsies of dead people, but they can see the changes if they look at the pet and cat scans of people, look at their myocardium and their lymph nodes, even at six months, it just continues to, to persist. And yet, where are the politicians who are talking about this? I mean, we got a little bit, of, a little bit from DeSantis. Well, I'm not going to recommend that young people get it, but they're still recommending that old people get it. And they're still not outlawing it. There's a few, and it's a growing number, uh, of counties in Florida that have put together things saying, we don't want this given to people. People are realizing this, but you know, th that's the closest that any politician is, and he's miles away from stopping this. Trump is still bragging about it. Other people are bragging about it who are running for president. Uh, these people are running away from what they did to us. I think they're all running scared. And none of the people who are running uh, for president are going to really address this. And um, I don't think it's even going to be uh, done by uh, RFK Jr., frankly. I, I lost a lot of respect and trust uh, that he might do the right thing for the vaccine issue because this latest book that is now pushing the intelligence community's narrative that it was a real pandemic that was released from a Chinese lab and all the rest of this nonsense uh, by the way, I think um, you know when you look at uh, ballot access and other things like that, it's it's going to be pretty difficult for him to get on the ballot. He might be able to do it. The, the toughest state for ballot access requirements is uh, California, uh, which has 
well over 100,000. It's like 130,000 signatures you got to get. Uh, but he's got a lot of people who support him in California. Uh, interesting, I started looking up the different numbers. And of course, you know, North Carolina always had very restrictive ballot access and still does in terms of the number of signatures you got to get as an independent or as a third party. And, you know, typically, and the way they have ballot retention by a third party is defined as a way that means that you've got to go through the signature uh, issues on a regular basis. Uh, but I, it was uh, good to see that here in Tennessee, you only need 245 signatures to get on the ballot. Um, one of the freest states in terms of ballot access uh, around another uh, another good thing uh, about Tennessee here. But anyway, getting back to the vaccines, Western Nation admits that 74% of triple vaccinated now have V-AIDS. In other words, vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome. I think that's a very important way to phrase this. Uh, this is an immune disease system that they are giving to people, and it is coming directly from these Trump shots. And so we continue to see people, athletes, young athletes, who see uh, this was sent to me, a bus driver uh, who um, died suddenly while driving the bus. You know, we're seeing this with pilots on a regular basis. In this particular one, a 15-year-old girl dies. But, you know, we're seeing this on a regular basis, and they think that we don't know. And they double down on this. As people are waking up, they come out with this narrative going back to, you know, the Wuhan bio lab and everything. And then you have the Nobel Prize in Medicine going to two scientists who enabled the creation of the mRNA vaccines. That's a clear signal to everybody of what the, uh, in case you didn't get the message already with all the censorship and everything else, we're going to give a Nobel Prize to two of the people who sold you out on all this stuff. And they're going to take the money and they're going to uh, continue pushing this. So we're going to take a real quick break and we'll be right back. Using free speech to free minds. It's the David Knight Show. Well, real quickly before we run out of time, Diane Feinstein, who died um, Friday morning, saw it uh, as the program was beginning. And uh, there's now been uh, a couple of interesting uh, stories that come out. This one from the New York Post said, um, these are the 10 oldest members in Congress right now. Uh, Chuck Grassley, um, of course, Feinstein was 90 years old, but uh, uh, Chuck Grassley, 90 years old. Uh, Grace Napolitano, 86 years old. Uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, 86 years old. Uh, she's, well, I guess you could say that she's, uh, in Congress. She's, um, non-voting member from the district of Columbia. Uh, Bill Pascrell, a representative, 86 years old. Representative Hal Rogers, 85 years old. Maxine Waters, 85 years old. Stenny Hoyer, 84 years old. Uh, Jim Clyburn. 83 years old. Nancy Pelosi, because she's coming back, folks. 83 years old. Uh, Bernie Sanders, 82 years old. There you go. That's the uh, 10 oldest people. Yeah, we do have a gerontocracy, don't we? Uh, Diane Feinstein has left a stunning amount of property 
to her billionaire husband's feuding kids. <laughs> yeah, don't envy these people. Um, uh, yeah, don't you, you? You look at these powerful people and you say, "How are they getting away with all this stuff?" As the Bible says, you'll look one day and you'll not find them. Like smoke, they will vanish. And uh, they'll leave behind their stuff to be fought over by their brats. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, the New York Post does. Uh, Diane Feinstein, one of the Senate's uh, richest members throughout her trailblazing career, thanks to her billionaire husband, while others in Congress struggled to make ends meet, sleeping in their offices to save on rent, Feinstein commuted from San Francisco Abroad, a Gulfstream G650 jet. Uh, the aircraft averages, um, uh, if you buy them, even if it's pre-owned, uh, $62 million. Her last disclosure in May put her net worth at $69 million. But uh, for much of her wealth, uh, she could be thanked for her second husband, Richard Bloom, an astute investor. I wonder... If he's as astute an investor as Nancy Pelosi's husband, who seems to know which businesses are going to be rewarded or punished based on legislation coming from his wife, uh, the queen of insider trading. And I'm not surprised at all if that's the source of the Feinstein family fortune, uh, because that's the way these people operate. And it's why they will not resign. Uh, that and the massive political machine that they are the figurehead for. Uh, this stuff never ends. But I think one of the most astounding things was to see who Newsom appointed. Uh, again, this is a, a woman who is um, head of a rapidly pro-abortion group. Uh, that uh, It was funny the way the mainstream media would uh, put it out there. This is a, a, a supporter of the Democrat Party. No, they want to kill babies. That's their main purpose at Emily's List. Uh, that's their main issue is abortion. So he wants somebody who's an abortionist. Okay, check that off of there. Uh, she is um, uh, she's female, of course, black, a lesbian. I mean, how could you not pick her? She checks so many boxes. And uh, the only problem is that she doesn't live in California. She does own some real estate because she's filthy rich. She owns real estate. They're just like Hillary Clinton was not from New York. You know, she was living in Arkansas, but you know, hey, she's got an apartment or something in New York because she's so rich and likes to hang out with us. So she'll run as senator uh, in New York and uh, gets elected. So Gavin Newsom, as Babylon B puts it, throws a dart at a board, uh, at a board covered in black lesbians to select the next senator. And he finds one from Maryland. Who cares? He says, I think she lives in Maryland or somewhere, something like that, but whatever. What are my constituents going to say? Well, does she have any political experience? Is she qualified? Is this going to turn into another Lala Harris or Brown Jackson situation? Well, maybe. But this one is super pro-abortion, and I hear that's polling well with Californians these days. So, uh, at least the ones who still live here, he said. And that's really what we're looking at. We're looking at somebody who has, um, just from the standpoint of the agenda that she pushes, from abortion, killing babies, or if they survive, mutilating them as minors. That's where she's coming from. And, um, you know, so that's even more important than the fact she's coming from Maryland. It, it truly is amazing how these people just do whatever they wish, and the Republicans never call them on it. 
and their voters never call him on it. It's just like Dan Andrews, who is able to do this lockdown. And then, you know, when he gets a better offer from uh, World Economic Forum, see you guys later. It's been a lot of fun controlling you. I'm going to go to the next level now. And he's able to walk away. Fauci's able to walk away with his chauffeured limousine and his security detail and his massive pension intact. There's no consequences for these people. It's like I said at the beginning of the program, there's not going to be any consequences for this guy pulling the fire alarm. Uh, this is, um, we've had many of these alarms pulled on us and they just keep getting away with it. Uh, she had said that this LaFonza Butler said the Supreme Court's ruling against affirmative action was about, quote, maintaining a system created for white men by white men. Well, interestingly enough, she's basically on the same page as RFK Jr. on that. Yeah, Gerald Salenti, who, you know, uh, he's a political atheist. He doesn't cheerlead people, but, you know, he's like, well, the only person we got out there is really taking on this Ukraine thing is RFK Jr. Uh, but I told him that, and he says, oh, oh, <laughs> oh no. Uh, because uh, it does tell you where the man is coming from. And it tells you where she's coming from as well. Maintaining a system created for white men by white men. Well, Emily's List is going to take care of that. And they'll take care of the babies as well. And I guess that takes care of the show for today. Thank you so much uh, for your support. And thank you for listening. Have a good day. Let me tell you. The David Knight Show, you can listen to with your ears. You can even watch it by using your eyes. In fact, if you can hear me, that means you're listening to The David Knight Show right now. Yeah, good job. (laughs) And you want to know something else? You can find all the links to everywhere to watch or listen to the show at thedavidnightshow.com. That's a website.